Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the project accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself in the past, suffering from partial amnesia and facing a mirror image that was not his own. Fortunately, contact with his own time was maintained through brainwave transmissions with Al, the project observer, who appeared in the form of a hologram that only Dr. Beckett can see in here. Trapped in the past, Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, putting things right that once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 33, Leap of Faith. You want some of this? It'll help your nerves. No, thanks. I'm, uh, I'm, fi- I'm fine now. Liquid Courage. I'm afraid I'm going to need all of that I can get today. I baptized that boy, Frank, and I watched him grow up. Now i got to bury him. Twelve years old. I guess I should have seen it coming. It's an accident. How, how could you see it coming? Oh, come on, Frank. We both know it wasn't an accident. The kid's been walking those tracks all his life. He didn't fall in front of that train. I uh, just want to express my sympathy to you on this tragic day, Mr. Lester. Murder! Murder! Don't! Don't make a circus out of this. Let this woman grieve for her son. What am I doing here? Your name is Francis Giuseppe Pistano. Look, would you just get to the point? Is it to prevent a murder? Uh, Yeah. How did you know that? I think the kid that Father Mac buried today was murdered. So if I'm here to stop that, I'm a little late. Ziggy says there's an 86.2% chance that this Father Mac is going to be murdered in the next 36 hours. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been ten years since my last confession. Since then, I've killed two people. Make that three. God, don't do this. I swore I would never have anything to do with you again. But you can't do this. He's done too much. He's helped too many people. Hello, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And today we are talking about Leap of Faith. We have a great episode today. We have an interview with Bud Sabatino, who played the Leapy in this episode. So that's coming up later in the show. I'm excited about that. It's cool to hear about the technical process of being the reflection in the mirror. That's something that we've talked about since the first episode. (laughs) And he's a cool guy, so that'll be fun. Heather, first impressions of Leap of Faith. I thought this was supposed to be a lighthearted episode. It was fun. Kids getting killed by trains. Come on. It was definitely not lighthearted. No. <laughs> I liked it. I, I I have some issues with this episode. Um, there's some parts I like about it. I I don't like the explanations for certain behaviors, if that makes sense. 
Um, I guess we'll, I don't know, we'll talk about it more later, but. Hey, that's my line. Um, <laughs> some of the things that I, I just felt kind of weird about, but it was, a, I mean, it was a good episode. All, all the episodes are good, but I, I, I don't know how you would have a, an episode after, you know, that trilogy and it just kind of, it's not going to stand up to the trilogy. So it's okay. I like, I like that Tommy Thompson was involved in this episode. That helps. Yeah. Cause he's cool. And I mean, the cast was really good. The acting was amazing. So it was another really good quantum leap episode. Spoiler alert. Not my favorite episode. <laughs> it's not mine either. As you can tell, by the way, I'm kind of talking about it, but, but it's an episode and it's quantum leap. So, right. I mean, I don't, I don't hate it. No. But it's not. But like I said, like how do you how do you have a good episode after the trilogy anyway? I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. <laughs> you know the old saying, the worst episode of Quantum Leap is still pretty damn good. Right, right. Like it's not it's I don't even think this was probably the worst episode. Oh, this is it's definitely it's not. still a good it's still a good episode, but it like I didn't feel anything. It wasn't it was just kind of like a one of those filler episodes for Quantum Leap. With a lot of the Quantum Leap episodes the finished product is greater than the sum of its parts right? and magical in a way. And this one was equal to the sum of its parts. I was actually worried about recording the, the show because I, I, I hate not like, I hate not loving an episode because, because I, re- I love quantum leap. I love everything about it. And I, I love Sam and Al and I, the acting is always superb and, and it really does, you know, have a good moral lesson in every episode and, so it's hard to not want to gush about how much I love this episode because the acting was great, the writing was great. Yeah, a lot of great elements. There's just it just didn't gel for some reason for me. I'm sure somebody listening, it's their favorite episode, and they're like, "What?" Yeah, we just lost some people. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. We have to be honest, otherwise. Yeah, that's what this show is about. Our opinions of this of this show. Yeah, it's so. our opinion. So. Yeah. It's it's interesting to talk to you about this after we watched it for like two weeks straight and we haven't been able to talk to I each know, other about it. I <laughs> know. I know. And then of course, you know, I I don't, I feel bad though. I feel bad not liking this episode. Is that weird? Because I have watched it four or five, six times. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm at six times. <laughs> I, I can say that the episode did grow on me and the more I watched it, the better I liked it. Yeah, it's like an old friend at this point. <laughs> yeah, still not my favorite. It's a good friend. It's just an old friend. It's someone we know. (laughs) I'm sure we'll talk about that and a lot more after the episode recap. This is season three, episode three, Leap of Faith. Original broadcast date, October 12th, 1990. Teleplay by Tommy Thompson. Story by Nick Harding, Karen Hall, and Tommy Thompson. Directed by James Whitmore Jr. It is said that the more disastrous the wedding ceremony, the more successful the marriage. If that's the case, Sam's Leap has ensured this young couple's success. After some prompting by the groom, Sam allows him to kiss the bride. After the wedding, Sam notices Al waiting outside, but is stopped to be criticized by the Monticelli sisters, who go to Mass at that church every day. They noticed his shaky legs, heavy breathing, sweaty palms, the crack in his voice, and not introducing the newlyweds, but give a backhanded compliment that it wasn't the worst wedding they'd seen performed there, 
and that the first time is always the hardest. It was the leapy Father Frank Pistano's first wedding. Sam is saved from the sisters by the church's senior minister, Father McRoberts, who everyone calls Father Mac. In Father Mac's office, he praises Sam for reaching two milestones, performing his first wedding and surviving his first grilling by the Monticelli sisters. Father Mac drinks some liquid courage, claiming he will need it for the funeral he is to preside over that afternoon, a 12-year-old boy named Sonny, whom Father Mac has baptized and watched grow up, had been hit by a train in suspicious circumstances, and now he had to bury him too. That afternoon, a brazen youth named Tony Pronti and his younger brother Joey are hanging around the cemetery. Tony breaks into a car and steals a necklace hanging from the mirror. Joey wants to visit their father's grave, but Tony won't allow it. Instead, they crash Sonny's funeral. Tony offers his condolences to Sonny's crying mother, who spits in his face and yells murderer. When Sam and Father Mac ask Tony to leave, he tells Father Mac he'll see him around. When Sam and Father Mac get back to the church, Sam again notices Al waiting for him outside. Sam asks Al if he had leapt there to prevent a murder. After being told yes, Sam thinks he's too late, having already buried Sonny. But Al tells him he is actually there to prevent the murder of Father Mac, who will die sometime in the next 36 hours. Father Mac is one of two witnesses to a robbery that occurred a month earlier, in which a store clerk was killed. The other witness was Sonny, the boy that was buried today. Al tells Sam that the suspect, Tony Pronti, is facing trial in two days and probably killed Father Mac to prevent him from testifying. Back in the church, Father Mac is nearly killed when a massive cross is pushed from its perch in the rafters, but Sam pushes him out of the way. The police are called, but since it was dark and neither of them could positively identify Tony as the vandal, they can't arrest him, but offer to set up a police guard to try to keep Father Mac safe. That night, Sam takes a cab to a club in a seedy part of town to confront Tony. During a passive-aggressive exchange between Tony and Sam, Tony insults the dead boy, offending Father Mac, who followed Sam. A fight breaks out, but Sam, an experienced martial artist, and Father Mac, a champion boxer, put an end to it quickly, leaving a bewildered Joey to try to help a knocked-out Tony. As they walk home along the train tracks, Sam wonders how a good boy like Joey gets mixed up with trash like Tony. Father Mac says they are brothers, and since their father died, their mother started drinking and ended up on the streets. So Tony is the only family Joey has. They reach the spot where Sonny was killed, and Father Mac laments how someone so small could leave such a huge gap when they leave. They hurry back to the church because it has started to rain and Father Mac needs a drink. Back in his office, Father Mac gets very drunk. Sam tries to cut him off, saying it won't help anything but Father Mac doesn't think it would hurt anything either, and when looking for another bottle, finds his gun and his war medals, including a purple heart and a silver star. Sam calls him a war hero and thinks he must have been the chaplain, but he was just a Marine stationed in the Pacific. He lost count of the number of people he killed during the Battle of the Bloody Ridge when the enemy sent countless suicide squads at them but swore if he survived that he would try his best to make up for it, and so he became a priest. Father Mac doesn't know if he's living up to that vow, but Sam says he just has to do the best he can and have faith what he is doing does good in the long run. 
Father Mac asks if Sam thinks he does, to which Sam answers yes, but Father Mac is not so sure. He then passes out. Unsure where his quarters are, Sam stumbles upon Father Mac's boxing gym. Al arrives and asks how Father Mac is. Sam replies that Father Mac is alive, but is worried about his mental state. Sam asks Al why Al has not been himself during the sleep. Al reveals that when his father returned from the Middle East, he pulled Al out of the orphanage and Trudy out of the institution, trying to put the family back together. He even bought a house. But Al's father got sicker and sicker and had to be hospitalized and was diagnosed with cancer. Al would visit him and his father told him that he would be all right as long as Al prayed for him. So Al prayed and prayed until the day his father died. Since then, Al turned his back on God in the church, which is why he has been so uncomfortable during the sleep. Al leaves and Sam catches Joey, who has been hiding in the gym. Joey wanted to talk to Sam, but decided to wait till Sam had finished talking to himself. Joey wants Sam to talk to Father Mac to tell him to not rat on Tony. If he testifies, then Tony will hang. Sam says that Father Mac has to tell the truth and that if Tony confesses, he has a good chance of beating the death penalty. Joey replies that Tony would kill him if he knew he was there, but all Tony was guilty of was trying to stay alive. He remembers that Tony wasn't always like this. Tony loved baseball, and they used to go see the Phillies on the weekends. Their dad worked at the stadium selling hot dogs, but after their father died, Tony got mean, like he was mad at the whole world. Sam asks if Tony is trying to stop Father Mac, but Joey doesn't know. The next morning, Father Mac is training boxing to a group of boys at the gym. A teenager tells Father Mac that he can't come to training that afternoon, as he has a part-time job at a butcher shop. So Sam suggests he punch the beef hanging in the freezer, having seen it in a movie. The teenager likes the idea and closes his locker, revealing his name, S. Stallone. Sam wants to talk to Father Mac, but he will only listen if they do a few rounds in the ring. Sam suggests that Father Mac leave town for a few days to dry out and to stay alive until the trial. Father Mac refuses, saying he has never run from anything in his life. Sam lands a few good punches, knocking Father Mac to the ground, wonders aloud if Father Mac wants to die, and angrily tells Father Mac he'll do his confessions that day. Meanwhile, Tony loads his gun with bullets. Joey tries to talk him out of it and suggests they go to Canada instead. He doesn't think Tony would do this if their dad was still alive. And in a fit of rage, Tony reveals that their father was a loser who didn't care about any of them and killed himself. Tony is the one who found his dead body hanging. Al can't believe that Sam offered to do Father Mac's confessions. Sam admits he was angry and he just wanted Father Mac to take a minute to think about staying alive. Al thinks confessions are sacred, which surprises Sam. Al's only explanation is that old habits die hard but tells Sam to just forgive everyone and not talk too much. The first person in the confessional is Tony, who admits to having killed two people since his last confession 10 years ago. Make that three, shooting at Sam, thinking it's Father Mac. He runs out of the confessional after firing six bullets, witnessed by one of the parishioners. Luckily, Sam recognized Tony's voice and ducked just in time, only being grazed by one bullet. It's still enough to stun Sam, though, fainting just as Al arrives. Thinking Sam is dying, he tells God he swore to not have anything to do with him again, but that he can't take Sam like this because he'd helped too many people. And Al even resorts to praying for Sam. Father Mac, who has just arrived, 
calls to Sam, waking him up and prompting a thanks to God from Al. The witness says it was Tony Pronti, so Father Mac goes after him. Al tells Sam to get up, because now history has changed and he has to stop Father Mac from killing Tony. With much difficulty, Sam gets up, runs out, and borrows the Monticelli sisters' car to follow Father Mac. Father Mac has Tony held at gunpoint on the railroad tracks where Sonny was killed. He wants a confession from Tony, threatening to shoot him if he moves and having the oncoming train run him over if he doesn't confess. Sam arrives as Father Mac is about to shoot Tony and tells him that he doesn't have to do this. Tony will be found guilty as long as he testifies. But Father Mac reveals he didn't witness the shooting. Sonny was afraid, and so to comfort him, Father Mac pretended to have had seen it too. Tony realizes he is now off the hook and tries to run, but Father Mac shoots in his direction, stopping him in his tracks. Sam gets on the track between the two of them, wanting to stop Father Mac from doing something he'll regret. Fearing for his life, Tony confesses to the murders just before the train is going to hit them, and Sam pulls him off the tracks just in time. The next morning, Father Mac is letting out some of his anger on a punching bag. Sam is surprised to see him there so early, but Father Mac says after having had alcohol as his crutch for 10 years, he needed something else to break the habit. Sam tells him to take it one day at a time, coining the phrase. Al reveals that Father Mac stays sober and at the church for 20 more years, even winning a couple more Golden Gloves championships in the process. Tony doesn't hang, but does some serious time. He makes something out of his life when he gets out of prison, though. Joey is also in good hands, being taken under Father Mac's wing. Al praises all the good work that Sam did, and with some praise directed back toward Al for praying for him, Sam leaps. And that episode recap was from Hayden. Thanks, Hayden. Now, what was that priest's name again? Father Mac. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. No. That whole recap made me want macaroni and cheese. Is that weird? Yes. Weird. <laughs> yeah, this episode, it's not like a, it's not a happy episode. There was, I think, one funny part just thrown in there and it was totally out of place with Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. But that was awesome. That was like my favorite part because you weren't expecting that at all. Not at all. Like you were like, hey, I know what movie he's re- referencing, but then you don't realize that that would be a crossover well because they're in philadelphia and yeah Sylvester sloan rocky and all that stuff they were like why not we'll just throw that in there did you notice the name on the other locker no p floyd so i wonder if pink floyd was also learning to box there why not not sure <laughs> so how do we talk about this episode without talking about religion i don't think the episode was I don't think about it, religion the only thing okay just to get it out of the way i i and it's still not addressing religion i was really bothered at the explanation of why Al was weird in this episode. He was, he wouldn't go in the church because his dad died when he was 10. I mean, okay, I get it. When I was 15, my best friend died and I was angry at the world and I couldn't understand why my best friend would die when I was 15. Like I didn't get it. And at the time I was, you know, I believed in God and I was angry because why would God take away my best friend, right? So coming from that, I'm now an adult. I wouldn't not go into a church because something happened a long time ago like that. I don't know. I just, I, I wanted it to be a be- a bigger reason, not I have resentment because I prayed and something didn't happen. Like, and that, that's not addressing religion. That's, I just feel like, I don't know. I just, I didn't 
like that reasoning. I was expecting like he witnessed something at a church. He was forced to do something bad at a church. He has some sort of bad memories, but like because he didn't pray or he prayed and didn't get the result he wanted, just didn't feel like an Al reason for me because look at all the things he's been through. Look at the trilogy we just watched and he's okay after being a prisoner of war for five years, but he won't enter a church because his dad passed away when he was 10. I don't I don't know. It could be that I'm not really that close with my dad. It could be that I just don't get the situation. But to me, I was just like, really? That was that was the reasoning. The biggest problem I had with that whole Al staying out of the church, away from the church, because of his anger towards God, was what about the episode The Right Hand of God? Right. He was there the whole... In the church the whole time, hanging out, not mentioning this. Yeah, I don't know. And what's with the boxing in the churches? Apparently, <laughs> if you're teaching religion, you also have to teach violence. I don't know. Stop it now. No, boxing is a very violent sport. I mean, people get hurt and killed and concussions all the time. I have never, outside of Quantum Leap, heard of boxing rings and churches being hand in hand. In this episode, I really expected Terry Coplay to come in in that red dress (laughs) and like cheer on Sam during his boxing match. I mean, it works in the story. If we hadn't already had a boxing church episode, I mean... There there, just... there, are so many sports, you know. What if they were curling? That would have been cool. <laughs> come on, come on, sweep, sweep. Well, like, even if he had just, like, a weight gym, like, he was teaching, like, kids how to like, get out their frustration or, you know what I mean, like, how to be healthy. I just thought it was, like, really another boxing church crossover. But, hey, well, maybe I just didn't know about the big deal of, in the Upper East United States, boxing rings and I'm not Catholic, so I don't know if boxing is part of Catholicism. If it is, it might might be. We just don't know. It might be like confessional, pews, boxing ring. Yeah, it might be like a thing. I don't know. I mean, it worked for that priest. So, I mean, Father Mac... If it was a standalone episode, I wouldn't be laughing at it. You know, if it was not already in Quantum Leap, I'd be like, that makes sense because he did boxing. And and I guess the other one alone makes sense because they were using the boxing to win money for the church. They each have their reasons. I just thought it was kind of funny that in the same series, it happens twice. If there's a third church and boxing <laughs> episode, we're going to have to rip that one apart. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, really? Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) I just can't. There was a lot of discussion on our Facebook group about Al and his losing his faith. And Hayden posed the question of whether or not he was an atheist because he was he turned his back on God. And the consensus was no, because he still believed in him. He was just angry at him for not helping him out. But like, even if you didn't believe or whatever your belief system would be mm-hmm. being a hologram in a church like right. he didn't want to go in the building what to me it just felt like they wrote that part of the story and then when it came to the reasoning part they were like um what would be good here you know like and i'm not bashing anyone's writing because i could not write my own tv series oh, like no. it's not even that and i feel so bad like criticizing someone's art but I just feel like this show has always had like so many underlying Al stories. Look at the last episode we just watched. It was just so powerful. And the under 
beneath of Al's story through that whole last episode, the underlying B story that you didn't know until you saw his picture. And then we get to this episode and he's like, yeah, I'm pissed off at God, so I can't go in churches. What? I think the way the scene was written, it could have easily been as good as the scene when he talked about his sister, Trudy. And that was a very emotional scene. Or when he talked about being a prisoner of war, the photograph, winning a Pulitzer. It could have been like that. But I think they were dipping into the well one too many times, way too early again. And I think, I don't know if the director, I don't know if Dean Stockwell or someone just said, you know, we're not going to do this every episode because if you make a very special, poignant moment in every episode, then it's not special anymore. So I think Dean Stockwell read his lines, did his job. But he purposely didn't put into it what he did in those other scenes. I understand being 10 and having your dad die like that. It's way different than being an adult and having your dad die. I understand that was really traumatic for him. I don't know. I just I feel like it wasn't true to Al's character because Al was like, oh, yeah, I had to stay a prisoner of war a little bit longer so your brother could live. We're good. You're my bro. You know, like he was like, no big deal. But he's like, oh, you want me to go into a church? No, I'm going to stay over here across the street. Like, it just, I don't know. That was the big thing that every time I watched this episode, I like cringed at the part where he like gave his reasonings. I was hoping each time it would be like, I witnessed someone being murdered here or I was at this church, this one church before and I saw something happen or this is the specific spot where my dad left or that I would understand. But I'm never entering a church, which and I didn't even think about the fact that he's already been in churches in previous episodes. I just boxing churches even better (laughs) but you know what I mean like it's just I feel like they pulled it out of their butts on this episode and and I I don't know I kind of I'm a little disappointed they didn't think deeper for his character because Al's character is so deep there's so many underlying things that are going on and I think they meant for this moment to be just as deep as the rest of them but it just didn't work and I'm not saying that when your dad dies it's not traumatic but I just feel like if your dad dies it when you're 10 by the time you're 50 you're not going to be still angry and it's not like Sam was like come inside and let's have a praying session he was trying to stop a murder and Al was like no 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 I know that the last three leaps have been dandy but this one I'm gonna sit this one out Am I just overreacting or did that bother you too? No, not at all. And I think it might have bothered Dean Stockwell as well because it wasn't right for Al at that time. And I think that's one of the reasons why the performance was the way it was. And I don't know this. This is my guess. I have no doubts in his performance. His performance was fine because I felt like he was uncomfortable talking about it. And as soon as he got it out, he was like, "Okay, I'm I'm leaving. And I get how it ties in at the end where he prays for Sam to be okay. I get all that. I just feel like after the trilogy, don't shorten Al's character. In this episode's defense, I don't think any episode after the official trilogy would have been up to par with those three episodes. I feel like they should have done a happy-go-lucky saving the cat in the tree. Just a silly episode. Just Just, as a palate cleanser. Well, that's what I call this episode. It's not. A palate cleanser just because it's very bland and not horrible, not great, but it's just a spacer between this and the next episode. Yeah, I just feel like if you watch it once and then you move along to the next one, then maybe it would be, but I've watched it like six times and maybe that's why I have so much anger because I I, I think now... (laughs) So you went from not liking it to anger? (laughs) No, just at that one point of the story. Okay, when someone who truly believes in a higher power has a 
life event like that, it causes them to question their beliefs. And they either lose their faith or they keep their faith, but they're angry and confused as to why their God didn't help them. And I think the latter is what happened to Al's character. Right. But how many bad things have we seen happen since he was 10 so far in this series? I mean, it could just be something he had bottled up and it just happened to be a bad time. Maybe it just was timing. Who knows? It could have been Trudy's birthday. And the or his whole dad's birthday. Freudian thought is your childhood dictates the rest of your life and how you act and react to situations. Oh, right. And earlier boxing churches, he might have suppressed this memory and dealt with it. But maybe this time, this day, he couldn't. I feel like if it was placed somewhere in the rest of the series, I probably wouldn't be affected at this part of the story but the placement of the episode right right but the whole i was fine up here it was okay i was a prisoner of war for five years lost my wife no big deal i'm good was his attitude the last episode that was literally his attitude this episode he was like i can't enter churches in my opinion this is where it went wrong that episode you're referencing was written by donald p Bellazario. right this episode the story was by Nick Harding, Karen Hall, and Tommy Thompson. And Tommy Thompson also wrote the teleplay. That's three people, not one person. And I think there was too many cooks in the kitchen, too many I feel so bad because I really like Tommy Thompson. I, I, I feel Tommy so Thompson. bad that I'm like ripping apart his episode. I want to go to his birthday party and I want to <laughs> give him a high five and hug him because he's awesome. But, you know, we got to say what we feel. And it wasn't a bad episode. It just didn't click. No, I just... It, it didn't and click. without that part, this episode was fine. Like, it wasn't spectacular. It wasn't bad. Even the train thing didn't bother me that much. I mean, it was kind of funny. It was funny. Because you're like, I don't really think it's coming. <laughs> You'll be fine. You're like, did it back up before... <laughs> what, how, is it the how, same train? <laughs> how is it not here yet? Are they using the same shot? Because I don't think it's moving. No, but like those are things that we, you know, encounter in each episode. The little silly things that from a production standpoint, you have no control over. But I don't know. I just feel like that was the one part that in the development of Al's character. And I know we've laughed in the past, but we're like, yeah, Al must have a really long life. He's been an astronaut. And he's been a pilot and he's been, you know, he has something that relates to each episode. And I liked the fact that he wasn't like, and in my past life, I was a priest. It was nice they did something different. I was even okay that he didn't want to go in the church. I was okay with his standoffish behavior. I just didn't like the reasoning. And now I'm going to shut up about it. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> I'm sorry I went on a tangent because I really, I, I don't know. That's what we do. You listen to us to, uh, to go on about tangents about Quantum Leap, right? That's why I listen. That and hear myself talk. <laughs> so now that that part's out of the way. Sorry. <laughs> At least we tackled that in the beginning, right? Except for that one part, I don't think the episode was about religion. It just happened to be the backdrop of the episode. Right. I think Tommy Thompson was given the responsibility to write the teleplay with these other people that had ideas, and there was way too many ideas trying to be woven into a story, and I think he did the best he could. Oh, right. The, the dialogue is amazing. Right. I think there was just 
too much put into one episode, maybe. There are a lot of things I like about this episode. Let's talk about those. Like I said, the Sylvester Stallone part, I think, is cute and quirky. Like, it's a nice refresher in this episode because it's kind of a sad episode. It's not a happy one. No, I didn't like that part myself just because it was totally out of place with the tone of the episode. But as we know, it was most of the time a requirement per episode to have a little kiss with history. See, I, li- I liked it because it was totally out of place. <laughs> You're like, oh, I can I can smile for a second. Thank, thank you. <laughs> It was so funny because I was like, oh, he's going to be like marrying people. And then it was about death. And I was like, this is not a happy episode. I liked the fact that Sam and Father Mac had a really great connection. I really liked their performances in this episode. And I liked the story with them. I liked that Sam had his back from the first moment they meet up at the funeral. Sam does not for a second doubt that Tony needs to leave. He doesn't question Father Mac. He's like, you need to go because he said so. He doesn't go, are you sure this kid needs to get out of here? He has no clue what's going on. And yet he backs Father Mac. He's like, whatever you say, boss, I'm with you. And I think that's awesome. That's really cool that Sam has gotten to a point where he can leap in and just be like, I got this. I know what's going on. He can spot the good guys from the bad guys and know what he's doing. I thought that was really awesome. Sandy McPeak, who played Father McRoberts, amazing actor. I think all his scenes were amazing. I think he did a great job. I actually did believe that character existed in real life. And talking about Sam at the funeral, backing Father Mac, I agree with you. And also, it was interesting to see Sam being Sam with his confidence and his ability to lay down the law, but in the body of Frank Pistano, which to me, he looked like a nice fellow, but not a badass. But right. Sam was acting like a badass in the body of a, a nice guy. Right. And it was an interesting contrast, I thought. I didn't even look at Sam as anyone else but Sam in this episode because he did have his confidence and his, no, this isn't going to happen. Which is awesome. I like when that happens. But you never know. I mean, Frank was Italian and a little bit of that could have shown through as well. This is true. The thing about the funeral scene, I really like Joey's character. He's another one that I really... Now, his story is is very small. His part is kind of small in this episode. But at the same time, it's really big because he loves his big brother. And he really doesn't have a clue what's going on and what... Like, his part in this episode represents everyone's childhood ever. Where you're like, no, I totally know what's going on. And you don't. You have a skewed view of reality. But in the beginning of the episode, you look at Tony and you're like, something bad must have happened to that kid. He's just not a stand-up guy. But with Joey telling Sam all of the things that have happened and with Tony saying that he found his father, without Joey... That whole side of the story wouldn't be as effective because then you're yeah, then you feel bad for Tony. By the time he's on the tracks, you're like, someone needs to save that kid. And that's pretty powerful. That's really good writing. Where you start out the episode with a murderer. And by the end of the episode, you're like, yeah, he's got to do some time because he's killed some people. Sucks he murdered that 12 year old. That's horrible. But someone's got to set that kid right because he doesn't deserve to die. And that's pretty cool that like that shift happens in the episode. And Joey plays a big part in that because he's like, no, you don't understand. That's my big brother. And it's also really cool that he's wearing like you can tell he's wearing hand-me-down clothes. You can tell his jacket is too small. That's also a really great job playing to his character. And it was really nice, the brothers, how they were pretty much opposites, but little brothers will do pretty much anything their big brothers tell them to do. But it was also awesome that he came by himself 
and tried to advocate for his brother. So I like that whole family kind of thing that happened in the episode with Joey and Tony. I thought Joey's character was the best character in this episode. Yeah. And played by Davy Roberts. I think he made the episode what it was. Right. Besides Father Mac. Those two, I think, were the glue that held the story together. And I think the reason why kids have a different view of things is because they're lied to all the time. He was lied to about his father and what happened. And I think you're uh, very much more forgiving of Tony than I would have been. Well, he killed two people. But uh, I don't think he should be like let go. I, I, I totally just didn't think he should have been hanged. But that's usually my thought on most things. Right. Well, you shouldn't. Two wrongs don't make a right. You right. shouldn't kill somebody because they killed somebody. But he should be in prison for the rest of his life. But to me, he seems like a 17 year old kid who his parents wronged him. I don't know if that's just the mom in me that sees him and is like, someone needs to set him up in a program. Because I think by the time we see him, he is drowning and doesn't know how to get out of what he's done. Joey's story, it seems like it's an accident that the store clerk got killed because I think he was stealing food to feed his brother at that point. He said he was doing it to survive. So I think he was trying to take care of his brother the only way he knew how. I'm not saying that's right. This is from where the story is. He's definitely wrong. But I feel like he's a kid who doesn't know how to make the right decisions. Because who teaches you how to make the right decisions when you're young? Your parents do. So the poor kid saw his dad kill himself. Their mom is a drunk. So he has no clue what's right and wrong. So then by the time he's killed one person, then he's like, how do I get out of this? So. The next thing you do is you kill the witnesses, which not that I would do, but you know what I mean? Like, that's how it is on crime shows all the time. Then you're way ahead of yourself because now look what you've done. He was in like a snowball effect of crime trying to make right what happened or not even make right, but get out of what happened the first time. So I'm glad that he ended up making something out of his life. Obviously, he got out, so he probably behaved himself in jail. But I cared a lot about Joey, and I think that he cared a lot about his brother, and that's probably why I see it that way. I think the moment that Tony walked in and saw his father hanging, he had a life choice to make. Okay, my father's gone. I have to take care of my brother. Right. Does he do it the right way or the wrong way? To wrong. He chose the wrong way. Right. And he chose to be self-destructive and murder people and ruin his life. I, I just think that sometimes people don't understand... I mean, I obviously he knew what right and wrong was at that point a little bit, but I just don't think he thought it through. Like he wasn't probably not thinking of consequences. Usually, when people kill people, they're not thinking this could be bad. <laughs> yeah, not usually a smart decision. No, I don't know. I just felt for him like he was a kid whose life had gone out of control. I didn't feel bad that he was going to be punished. I didn't feel bad and think he shouldn't have been punished for killing people, especially the 12-year-old who didn't deserve to die. But I just mean, I felt bad for him that his life had gone completely out of control at such a young age. What he should have done, Tony, is decide to take care of his brother and to be a surrogate father. Right, but that would have made such a boring story. It would have, (laughs) but then none of this would have happened. And it would have been a really boring episode. Hmm. (laughs) I'm almost in favor of it, though. I'd watch a boring episode as long as people didn't get killed. (laughs) Well, at least we didn't see anybody get killed. And he didn't learn. He did not learn. He went to kill Father Mac. Well, he didn't learn until the end. I think he didn't learn until the end. That was the whole point is he went to jail. He confessed. He went to jail and then made something out of his life later. Like, that was the whole point. Like, he didn't learn until he was on the tracks and confessed because... And he had to choose between getting scared. run over by a train or being shot. Right. Quick question. 
Would you rather be shot or run over by a train? Shot. Me too. <laughs> I would wait till the last possible second, dive out of the way. Hopefully just, you know, in TV, when you get shot, it's usually your shoulder or your arm. Or they arm, miss. Or they it's miss. just like the sleeve. Yeah, something. Oh, a flesh wound. It just graze the skin. Right. Between the third and second rib. Just graze but the I skin. But I feel like a train would be a really horrible way to go. Right. So I would definitely jump out of the way. I'd it would be probably be instantaneous, depending on how you were on the track. The way everyone was standing... If you waited long enough and jumped out of the train's way in the last second, you couldn't have gotten shot through right. the train, so he could have ran away. So that would have been my backup plan, especially since the train was moving so slow. <laughs> I'm just going to step once this way and we'll be okay. I didn't find any redeeming qualities in Tony's character whatsoever. Because to me, he's not an adult. He doesn't at any time appear to me. And I had asked you when we watched it, how old do you think he is? Because I don't think they say it. But to me, he seems like he's 17 years old. Like he's a teenager whose life has gone completely out of control in a downward spiral that he didn't know how to stop. I don't know if it's just like the compassionate side that I have. That's not justifying any of his actions. I don't believe he was right in any way, shape or form, but I believe his life spiraled out of control without him being able to stop it. I think you have a decision whether or not you bring a gun into a convenience store. I'm not justifying his actions. I'm not saying he was right in any way, shape or form, but I feel like... I think you think he's a victim of his circumstances. No, no, no. no. And I don't think he's a victim at all. Well, I think he's a victim of circumstance, (laughs) but I don't think that that justifies what he did as much as I feel bad that it happened to him. This episode also brings up another topic, which is suicide and... Making sure your kids don't find you. That's horrible. Sorry. It's totally off topic. To quote a friend of mine, once you have kids, it's not about you anymore. Right. I agree. Tony and Joey's father, no matter what he was going through, it doesn't matter. You have to be there for your children. You have children. You have to be there for them. And... (laughs) I feel like... I totally agree with that. But in the reality of things, a lot of parents aren't there for their children. (laughs) Your father chose to leave your family when you were a kid. Uh He chose to totally shirk his responsibilities. Tony's dad totally dismissed his responsibilities and taking care of Tony and Joey. Did he not love his children that he didn't care about the rest of their life? Well, that's a hard one to judge, buddy. You don't kill yourself because you're bored. You kill yourself because you feel like there's no way out. I don't think he did it to hurt his family. When it comes to something like that, you can't judge a situation you've never been in. That's how I feel. Nobody kills themselves because they want to hurt the people around them. They kill themselves because they feel like they have no other option. And it's a big deal. And it's something that shouldn't happen as much as it does. But it's not something that needs to be looked down upon. My point is, is you don't take a character and say, like, he shouldn't have killed himself because he had kids. Yeah, of course not. Like, that's a no brainer. I mean, I look at Rennie and she's the reason I live. I mean, we're also, for the most part, healthy in our mental states. He was a small blip in that thing. We know nothing about his life. So who knows what he was going through? I just, when it comes to mental illness and what someone is going through emotionally to push them that far, like, have you ever been pushed that far to consider that? I've never been pushed far enough to consider killing myself. But to be in that mental state, I wouldn't know what that's like. I just know instinctually that no matter what happens to me, I have to do my best to take care of my child. Right. But but like I'm saying, you're a healthy adult who doesn't suffer from mental problems. Okay. Right? I mean, if it's severe depression, I don't know. Don't look at me with that disappointment in your face. (sighs) Just trying to figure it out. 
from what I understand... Do you think it's selfish that he abandoned his children like that? Yes, but I don't think he did it to hurt his children. Does that make sense? I think he did it regardless of what would happen to his children. I think he dismissed the lives of his children and only focused on him. Right. I don't disagree with you on that. Okay. Another tragic thing that happened in this episode that if it didn't happen, things would have been better. Right. I I think uh, Tony's actions were a direct reflection of his father abandoning Tony and Joey. Right. And that's why that is part of the episode. And another reason why this episode isn't very happy. No. So, I feel so, like I need a drink, and I don't even drink. Like That's another thing this episode uh, is about. <laughs> Alcoholism. Hey, see what I did there? Yeah, good segue. Good segue from, hey. from suicide to alcoholism. Now yes. we're going to have fun. <laughs> oh, yes. Man. Alcoholism is a fun topic because it's something that, and I'm saying that sarcastically, it's something that our country doesn't really touch on a lot. Alcoholism is probably the biggest problem as far as like a drug addiction. I think alcoholism is the biggest drug addiction out there because it's so socially acceptable. Like it's not socially acceptable to go to the bar and shoot up. It's not socially acceptable to do a line of cocaine at the bar. It's not the 80s anymore. (laughs) But I mean, it's socially acceptable to go get hammered at the bar once, twice, four times a week. And you know what? Nobody thinks anything of it. And until it gets bad, until it gets to the point where you can't stand up anymore, where you can't live your life without that drink, that's when people start to worry. At that point, you're already way too far gone. I have a lot of alcoholism in my life. I've never been a drinker. I don't have that gene. I I don't either. I have an addiction to food. Food is my drug. But as far as um, drugs and alcohol, not really my jam. I will have the occasional glass of wine, but I only I'm pretty picky about that, too. And I don't like it because it makes me hot and uncomfortable. So it's just a thing. I don't know. But my mom suffered a lot from alcoholism when I was younger. And she can't drink anymore at all or she gets physically super sick, even with one sip. So it was her body going, okay, you're done. But when you're little and your mom is drunk, it's kind of a like signal like I would never, I don't want to be that. So luckily, that's not a thing in our lives. Like that's not really a thing. And But it's such a powerful, both my parents suffered from alcoholism. And I know my dad still drinks, which is kind of sad. Hopefully he doesn't drink as much as he used to. But I, I know that that is very, very sad for the people around you when you suffer from alcoholism, especially when you take it to an extreme, especially when it's really bad. And Father Mac was able to hide it because he's a priest. So he was really alone. I mean, did you see anyone in his life besides those kids and the church? So he didn't have a partner. He didn't have a friend until he has Frank, Sam. And Sam was really the only one to step in and be like, you need to stop. He mentioned being Irish. He kind of played it off like I'm Irish and this is what we do. And you know what? That's what a lot of people do. I'd say it's the rule that most people drink. Right. And I think that since the prohibition, I don't think anybody's ever going to try to get rid of alcohol again. But I definitely think that the smoke screens need to be taken down because alcohol is so dangerous driving while drunk it makes you violent i mean it's a it's a depressant it makes you upset about your life it makes you uh, yeah i'm sure you get 
happy and while you're partying and you're having a great time and shuts your brain down for a little while. But isn't that scary? Yeah. <laughs> like You need that brain to make good decisions and function. The happiness you get from drinking is only borrowing from the future. Right. You got to pay it back the next day. And there's something that I learned in school. I want to say I was in seventh grade and I, I had the best seventh grade teacher, Mr. Heitman. He was amazing. And I was in my seventh grade class and he had a chart that showed here's your baseline. And when you drink your baseline, especially if you drink or use drugs a lot, your normal baseline drops down lower. Then the alcohol raises your baseline back to normal or the drug. So then you get to the point where while you're not drinking, your normal baselines all the way down here. So you have to drink just to be normal. You have to take that pill just to be normal. You have to get high just to get to your normal now because you've been drinking or doing drugs for so long that you don't even know where your normal is anymore. I think it's like that with most drugs. Right. But alcohol is so much so not included in drugs, which makes it one of the most dangerous drugs because it's so socially acceptable. It's legal to do. I mean, it's I mean, so is cigarette smoking, but at least that doesn't alter your function to drive or kids don't smoke. Joey trying to smoke in this episode. Oh, my gosh. I know. What was he, 10? Horrible. Who knows? He might have been 25. It might have stunted his growth. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say about Joey, though, he looks like a little kid from New York. Oh, doesn't he? They cast it But I mean, in that Philly, New York, Mm. like up there. The Northeast. Yeah, like, but that, I I could totally believe that he was like from Philly. Like, that was really cool. It it was good that they touched on a lot of depressing things like (laughs) um, suicide and your parents letting you down. And they touched on the drinking twice with the mom and Father Mac. I just picture all these people in the writer's room going, should we talk about alcoholism, suicide, (laughs) uh, smoking, um, violence, guns? How much can we fit in this episode? And somebody just walked in and said, you know what? All of it. Throw it all in. Put it all in there. It's like, oh, this is another reason I dreaded (laughs) this episode coming. And I'm over here on my tangents. (sighs) But they're all valid. Someone's going to be like, you're no fun. Eh. But me, get me some chocolate cake and (laughs) alcohol is not my thing, but. (laughs) And if you were looking for a reason of why Father Mac was drinking so much, it's because of his post-traumatic stress disorder from being in the military and killing all those people. Yeah. So there we got that one covered too. So killing people drives someone to drink. I was actually talking to someone about their PTSD from their time in the army and how real that is. I know she described it as like a panic attack, but what she was describing, like I can't even imagine. She's like, you just go through everything that happened. And I just, I don't know. I just can't imagine like how traumatic. I mean, I guess every traumatic experience you go through can trigger that, but killing that many people and having that weigh on you every day has got to be a horrible thing. And then something comes along like a 12-year-old boy you've known since birth gets killed and you just snap. It's crazy. Yeah. Very traumatic being in that situation, putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. Guns are bad. I got that out of this episode. (laughs) So I'm going to say that every episode, even the one where Sam's a bathing suit model. Guns are bad. I was going to say, have you changed your mind on that recently? No, not at (laughs) all. But, you know, uh, as every day goes by, I think there's more and more evidence for my, my belief. And this episode is definitely, if uh, you take the guns out of this, you, you couldn't do this episode in the UK. I was going to say what with like walkie-talkies. <laughs> walkie-talkies <laughs> like E.T. We recently watched E.T., so that's on our brains. <laughs> yeah. So 
Guns are bad. Smoking's bad. Drinking's bad. Can we talk about the fact that Sam missed six bullets by leaning forward? (laughs) Well, like, how do you know where the gun is? Now, whoever was loading the gun in the insert shot of Tony loading the gun was loading actual bullets. Right. The bullets that were fired in the confessional booth were blanks because the wicker that's between the two booths and the window, I don't know if there's an official name for that, but there was definitely like muzzle fire coming through, but no bullets. So the wicker was intact at the end. I would see why they would not shoot real bullets on the set of Quantum Leap. (laughs) Right, um. <laughs> right, but you would think that there would be some destruction of the wicker, even from just the blanks, because blanks can kill you if you're close enough. I just thought it was funny that like he shot six bullets in a straight and line, and Sam was like, "I'm gonna duck and be fine." Yeah, if he had just uh, and how spread did him he, out a little bit, and how did he get hit on his head? He didn't get grazed in the head by a bullet. He must have hit his head leaning forward. That was I thought he got hit in the head leaning forward. I think that was good logic. Do they have like a little writing pad table there on either side maybe? An arm lean? Well, I thought he leaned forward. And hit the curtain? And hit, I don't know, hit something. There might have like been the a corner. ledge or something. But like how do you get grazed in the yeah. front when you're leaning forward? Yeah, I don't, and it was over his <laughs> left eye. <laughs> right. It wasn't like on the side of his head. So he's got this big massive gaping head wound and his brains are coming out. It's, it's almost like the Zabruder film. But then he's okay. No. No. He does have a cut on his head. <laughs> a but scratch. Not, I just like, and I thought it was funny. I was like, get up, you're fine. And he was like, damn, all right. I had two thoughts on this. One, something, he hit his head or just grazed him somehow because like the wicker changed the trajectory of the bullet. Or there was divine intervention. He was shot in the head, but then since Al prayed, everything was okay again. I feel like I have no comment for that. Well, but my take on that is if that was the case, then there would have been some like twinkly star sound effect. Right. So, And, and if you can't pray away cancer, you probably can't pray away a bullet the brain. wound to the brain. Yeah. Well, I didn't think the bullet hit him because it was on the opposite side of his head, wasn't it? Weren't they facing forward or was he facing backwards? Face forward. So So he was facing the curtain. Right. So the wrong side of his head has a wound on it, correct? Correct. Right. Well, he so might I have thought been, he hit he, his head. He might have been facing the little wicker window. Either way. Either way. In real but, life, if a gun gets fired at you, you get shot. Right. You don't down. duck down no. with six bullets. People are going to listen to the show and we're going to get letters. They're going to be like, <laughs> I thought you letters. liked Quantum Leap. What happened? Quantum Leap. But we got to talk about it. <laughs> I know. I'm assuming that this isn't a crowd favorite. We shall see. <laughs> Once we find out, this is like everyone's favorite palate cleanser episode. <laughs> Is this the first palate cleanser? I think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if there are others. I, I, well, I I don't know. I And I don't know what episode they could have done to pass that. It would have had to been a total silly episode. I, that's what I was hoping for. I don't know why they went so heavy so soon. For real. It might you have been. You guys were laughing at me last time. Oh, nice, happy-go-lucky palate cleanser episode. Yeah, right. It might have been because we watched it in low definition. Maybe we didn't just get the nuances <laughs> that we normally do in high definition because we had to watch it on Region 2 DVD because this one is not on Netflix. Hmm. Good thing the recap's in there, people. A lot of people, if they're following along on Netflix, didn't see this episode. Why would you skip certain episodes? Uh, it had a lot of music in it. I think that might have been part of the reason. Huh. There was a lot of 60s music in it. They were like, skip the one with the drinking and the suicide and the 12-year-old that gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> in theory, it sounds like a fun episode, but... <laughs> Sounds just as 
It is. You know my burger theory. We're like one. I don't. I don't. (laughs) What what do you mean? One episode has a connection to the next episode. Oh, that's a good idea. I don't mention it often. No? No. Not lately. But this one I noticed a a really prominent one, which is- No, I didn't even see that one. Oh, (laughs) that was the only one that I connected. Marines and Marines. Yeah, I guess. But the one I saw was drinking because Sam was drunk when he leapt into Father Frank Pistano. (laughs) That's kind of funny. I didn't think about that. And then he was like, and really? Then, You're going to drink? I'm drunk right now. Was, but And then he was trying to get Father Mac to stop drinking. So I'm. Can I tell you what my hopes were for this episode? I was hoping that he would leap and it would be like a the leap would be a B story to Al and Sam reacting to the trilogy. That was really what I thought was going to happen in this episode. We were left on you were a POW for longer because my brother is now alive. This episode, they acted like nothing happened. So either it wasn't filmed in order or they chose not to address that. I just thought that was weird that like you have that three episode arc and then it's like, yeah, and that none none of that happened now. Early 90s television was very different than television today where now most shows have a continual storyline and Every episode affects the next episode. Back then, they didn't do that so much. Right. I understand. I was present in this era of television and standalone sitcoms. But Alan Sam's relationship is still an underlying storyline in this whole series. Things that have happened between them don't get forgotten. I mean, it's, it's not like Al breaks his arm and then in the next episode, it's fixed. But we just came out of a three episode story arc and they're like, And now on Quantum Leap, you know, like it's just completely, I don't know. I was just hoping, not that I wanted to drag out those three episodes. I really loved them. Can you tell? I just keep talking (laughs) about them. But I mean, the fact that it was like they someone hit the reset button and didn't mention it this whole time after we just watched three episodes in a row of that story. I don't know. Uh, Little things I saw in this episode. I was amused by the Monticelli sisters. They reminded me of those two old guys from the Muppets. Yeah. Statler and Waldorf. They just had the same buddy team critic making fun of Frank. What did you think of Danny Nucci's portrayal of Tony in this episode? I thought it was good. He was definitely a weasel character. I like Danny Nucci too. Yeah. That's probably why I like Tony because I like Danny Nucci. I was thinking maybe you just are a big fan of Titanic. So Maybe. (laughs) He's pretty good in Titanic. He's good in this episode too. Yeah, the acting was amazing. On There was no bad acting in this episode. The acting was all spectacular. I believed every second of it. I really liked his voice, Father. Yeah, he did that pretty well. Yeah, he did it really good. And he was always like slightly sweaty. And if he was directed to be totally unlikable, I think he did amazing. Yeah, he was definitely weaselly. You know, like he was that weasel character. When Tony was breaking into the car, for me, I was a little taken out of the show because that type of window, it's kind of like an air vent window in cars. And the way it locks is there's like a metal hook that goes horizontal and that keeps the window from being unlocked. And the whole time the lock was vertical, so there was nothing holding the window closed, so Tony didn't have to fiddle with it with a knife, and he didn't have to do anything except just open it, like he did at the end. He was doing unnecessary things. I had no idea about that, though, so it worked for me. And then, right after that, he steals the necklace from the rearview mirror. I don't understand that part. Like, to me, I didn't... Like, he just stole a necklace out of a car. I was hoping they were going to tie that in, like he stole it from someone who 
like it meant something. I think it was a religious medallion, like a St. Christopher. So he was wearing it to the funeral and he liked it. But my problem with that shot scene was it's hanging on the rearview mirror. He pulls it. So it breaks the clasp and you hear like the sound of the clasp being broken. And then he puts it on and wears it. So there's no way for that to happen. I don't know. Weird shot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He put on a broken necklace that wouldn't stay on. Yeah. That scene took me a few viewings to understand what was going on. Because the first time I thought the little kid was asking him to go to Sonny's funeral. I didn't know he wanted to go see their dad because there wasn't really like a name. You know, it wasn't really established yet what was going on and who they were. So the first time I was like, so the little kid must be the friend of the kid who died, like, which they probably were friends. But I mean, I didn't know what was going on until like the third time I watched it. It was like, oh, he wants to go see their dad and he doesn't want him to go to the funeral and cause trouble. And the first couple of times, I had no idea what that was all about. Tony makes a huge entrance into Sonny's funeral, but the mom doesn't notice him there. Well, she was in the middle of grieving. That's true, but I mean, um, he was took a pretty prominent position in the funeral. And then started smoking, which today is more off-putting than back then. But Off-putting, disrespectful, and odd. But back then, it was still probably not. I remember being a kid, and you would walk through the grocery store, and there would be cigarette butts everywhere on the ground. I remember, see, when I grew up, there was smoking and non-smoking in restaurants, and that was it. You couldn't smoke in the hospital. You couldn't smoke in the grocery store. It was just in restaurants, they had smoking and non-smoking. By the time I was a kid, that was what was left was smoking or non-smoking. My mom tells me stories of the doctor that delivered me smoking while she was in labor. <laughs> I just like don't. All understand. those thoughts combined doesn't make any sense, but that's, that's what What I don't get is like now I don't get why people smoke. There's still new people that smoke every day, like that are trying it. They don't realize how little time they have and they don't care if they're shortening or not. Well, it was one thing when like it was the thing to do and nobody knew how bad it was. But like now you know how bad it is. It's not like it's appealing. I mean, I guess when you're a kid, you're like, well, it looks cool. It looks cool on TV. Like that looks really cool. Tastes horrible, smells horrible, and you die, but it looks cool. <laughs> but you can accent and punctuate your statements while you're doing it. But now you can't even smoke anywhere. So like, what? I don't know. One thing made me smile in this episode is the kid that got run over by the train. His <laughs> What? <laughs> what is wrong with you? His name was Sonny. And that was my dad's nickname. So oh, I was like, where is this going? My my whole father's side of the family called my dad Sonny because that was his nickname. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. I guess that was a thing back then. I don't know if it was, that was his actual name or that was his nickname. Hey, Sonny. Yeah, basically. But when my dad was, you know, in his 50s, his family was calling him Sonny. That's probably because there were so many Alberts. Yeah. There was a lot of Alberts in town when he was around. So everybody had a nickname. Yeah. Like one had to be Albert and one had to be like Alb. His other nickname was Red Cap. But I didn't see that in this episode. Maybe future episodes. Because no. he wore a red hat at the GM plant he worked for mm. for 20 years or so. I was going to say he probably wore a red hat. Yeah. People weren't very... Uh, creative. <laughs> creative. <laughs> red cap. Sunny. <laughs> That's like uh, in Big Hero 6 when they're all named like... <laughs> you get green wasabi once on your shirt. <laughs> I tried to catch this episode in a timeline error with the CVS garbage. In, in a garbage can, there's a big ad for CVS. And I looked it up and I was like, when did CVS start? 1963. In May. What's funny is you were like, what? CVS? I have to Google. And I was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> well, I was hoping for 1965 or something. You're like, what year is it? There's CVS in the trash. <laughs> 
but uh, it would have not been in the right area, but someone could have moved and used the newspaper for packing material and then threw it away. So there's no error there. So you think that cross would have killed Father Frank if it had fell on him? It didn't look like very heavy. It looked like it would have hurt him, maybe knocked him out for a couple days. Probably a prop. <laughs> um, well, if it fell on his head, I feel like it probably could have killed him. Okay. Anything, if anything falls in your head, you could probably die. Probably. Okay. Just didn't look that... It was probably foam. <laughs> it didn't look as dangerous as they were playing it up to be. It's because they got out of the way. But I did like that sound effect that they played while the cross was falling. To me, it was the same sound effect as when in Goodnight Dear Hearts, Sam was having those weird flashbacks that never happened. Mm. It was like that sound. Right. Pretty cool. The bar scene was interesting. The bar fight in particular. I like that Sam, Father Mac, and Tony get into a fight and the guy in the maroon jacket. (laughs) Not really sure where he comes from. Nobody punches him first, but he jumps in there like, no, I'm going to get in this. I'm in the mood for a fight. Like, who is that guy? (laughs) He just jumps in there and starts fighting. Yeah. He's just like, I want to be part of this. This looks really fun. There's a uh, funny scene in A Million Ways to Die in the West, the Seth MacFarlane movie, where... Every time there's a bar fight that everybody just jumps up and starts fighting and then him and his buddy just play fight so they don't get hurt <laughs> in the background or else somebody's going to hit him with a chair or something. It, it just always happens on TV. I Like if if I saw a fight in front of me, I would just back away. Yeah. I wouldn't be like, look at me. I got a maroon jacket on. I'm going to start throwing punches. The only thought I had is maybe he was part of Tony's crew. Yeah, I just thought it was weird. Maroon jacket jumps out of nowhere and he's like, let me get on this. Did you see the viral video that's going around now with the Publix? There's a viral video going around. That's been, it's been going around for a while. I don't even know how it started, but it was something about fried chicken. And there's two men like rolling around on the floor, legit punching each other. And I, there might be a woman involved. And then there's like people pulling them apart. And like there's Publix employees like running to the phone and like diving into the pile to get. The, and I'm like getting that powder that they spread on the floor for when there's a spill. Stop it. I'm like, like, what? You're at a Publix, which if you don't know what a Publix is, it's a really awesome grocery store. I'm pretty sure fried chicken takes eight minutes. So all they would have to do is wait another eight minutes. Well, I I don't know. I don't know if it was like it was the last fried chicken. That's one reason I saw another person said it was because of a racial slur used that towards a deli. That makes quick. more sense. But what's funny is the people involved in the fight, I don't believe are different races. So I'm not exactly sure... What is going on in that fight? I have no idea. I just know like they knocked over bakery displays. They're legit wrestling full on. And I'm like, you are at the grocery store. Even if I was at a bar and people started fighting, I would be like, let me pull up a chair and watch this because this is kind of funny. (laughs) Or I would leave. (laughs) But I wouldn't be like, let me get in on this. In a grocery store, you know, go to aisle nine. Get a bag of Cool Ranch. Calm down. But like, I don't see those. I don't see those things because anybody who posts a fight or somebody getting hurt on their feed, I unfollow. It's just one of those things that was trending on Facebook publics and i was like oh i kind of want to see what this is i didn't expect it to be like a fight it was a interesting bar fight though uh sam did his martial arts father max looking at this large man and his martial arts skills like you got some stories like <laughs> what al's dad yeah died of cancer mm-hmm. al mm-hmm. smoked cigar mm-hmm. he didn't say what kind of cancer doesn't matter come on this is the 80s <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> or the 90s or the futuristic 90s. I don't know. The 90s or the 2000s. Well, I mean, it was the 90s, but maybe in their future, 
the cigars are safer so or in, something. In 1999, they had safer cigars. Maybe it was a holographic cigar. I don't know. I don't know. I guess you see that a lot of times people don't learn from other people's mistakes. It's not like Al has like his stuff together. He's got how many wives and he's got his own set of baggage going on. <laughs> For someone who prays, what would be the logic behind praying? I feel like it would be the same as if we said, send your positive thoughts my way. That's how I view it. If someone said, I need all your positive energy sent this way. That's how I feel like praying. It's like you are reaching out to the higher power that may be and saying, I need your attention right now because this thing might go wrong. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know how anyone else would explain it. Because you're basically, you're trying to draw attention to your situation. Right. Right. But does that, did I explain it well? Very well. I don't get, I mean, it doesn't do anything, but I think that's what the thought is. Like, I don't know if. Like, change your plan, please. Well, maybe, maybe the thought is like, God's got a lot going on and they're like, hey. Over here, look at me, look at me, look at me. This dude right here, don't let him die. Okay. Pay attention. Maybe that's their thought. Okay. I don't know. I like the effect they use for Al walking back into the imaging chamber door because they saved money on special effects just by having a sound effect and a bright light. Right. He did that a lot in this episode. That was kind of cool. There was only one real visual effect that I saw was when Al was putting his hands through Sam. Right. I don't know if that was symbolic of something that I missed, but it seemed... Like he wanted to grab Sam and reach out and and hold him. You know, like he wanted to embrace his friend and he couldn't. And I think that spoke a lot, just that action. So that's why that needed to be there. I learned a lot in this episode about priests' wardrobes. Dude, I had no idea that that thing was like an apron. It's like a front of a shirt. I thought it was like a shirt. I always thought it was a shirt. To me, it's like one of those jocks that those, I guess, jocks wear that I don't understand. It's like the front of underwear, but not the back of underwear. Jock strap? Yeah. Because it doesn't seem that much more difficult to make a whole pair of underwear than a front of an underwear with elastic on it. And this Isn't is that what, just to protect their stuff? Not a cup. It's just like front of underwear. And I don't. I've never had to wear one, so I don't understand. Me neither. I've never been in that type of adult <laughs> film. But a front of a shirt with elastic going around it makes no sense to me. Well, I know that. There are versions of it that are a shirt because Father Mac was wearing like the black. Oh, was he? Sure. There was a point. I want it unless I'm losing my mind. Totally possible. But I want to say there was a point where he was wearing like just the shirt. But I guess when it's really hot and air conditioning is not a thing, you wear as least amount of clothes as possible. Right. They were wearing a lot of clothes, but they were losing the fabric where they could, I guess. I was just always assuming it was a black shirt with like a white thing under, which I think it is now. Like I think now in the bar scene, that's where he was wearing the black shirt with the white. I have to say, once the white collars removed, they look like they're badasses, like all in yeah. black. Mm -hmm. Really cool with the long coats, like Neo from the Matrix or something. Yeah. It was really cool. The priest duo kicking butt in the bar, because that sounds like the start of a joke. <laughs> Two priests walk into a bar. One of them's from the future. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you'd go with that. I don't either. Speaking of wardrobe, uh, Al was wearing the MIA shirt again, hmm. that purple shirt. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's a nice shirt, silver tie. I should have noticed since he wore that the entire MIA episode. I think my favorite part of this episode was the short conversation that Al and Sam had about Ziggy. 
And Sam was asking Al, why does Ziggy sometimes get things right, sometimes get things wrong, and isn't quite sure other times? And Al was just like, I don't know, Sam, want to ask him? And he yeah, was he was just like... Showing him the hand link with just blinky lights, and, and Sam's like... Uh. Yeah. But I think that was the writers referencing their own rules when it comes to Ziggy right. as pertaining to there aren't any right? because whatever fits the story best is what Ziggy's capable of or not capable of. I really love that almost inside joke that they did with that. Right. Yeah, that was good. I liked that. That was another little chuckle moment that they threw in there. There wasn't a lot of them in this episode, but the few that were there were good. Was it a joke when Al mentioned old habits die hard because of Catholic people, the nuns have a habit? In their outfit or no? I don't think so. Okay. Oh, and a gyrene is... I tried to look that up. I couldn't find it. It's slang for a Marine. Oh. I was thinking like G.I. Joe. I'm so confused. But it's a a gyrene is a Marine. It's a slang term. The scene with the older couple and one of them was named Albert. I found that funny. Yeah. Why does he want to talk to me? I don't know, Albert. Just come I'm not a mind reader. (laughs) But I, I just thought that was cute. I don't know if I like old people or... His name was Albert. I don't know why I found it funny. I just found it funny. It gave an opportunity for that double conversation going on. Right. Totally unnecessary, but awesome. So maybe I just had a revelation. Maybe my thought with Tony and not thinking he's the total horrible person. The first time I watched this episode, I was shocked that there was no other possibility than Tony being the killer. I was like, maybe this is something different. Maybe he's just the red herring. Like, maybe... Then he's loading a gun. Oh, obviously, like, after the first time I watched it, I realized. But I mean... Almost like they should have thrown in Joey trying to protect his older brother by killing people. That would have been perfect. (laughs) But I mean... but or, Or it was like a family member or... I was expecting someone to come out of the woodwork and then turning out to be him. Because it's not like Sam... To just back the priest. I mean, he's a priest, so you probably don't think he's wrong, but he did have issues. So the first time I watched this episode, I was like, the priest is a drunk. There's no question of a doubt in anyone's mind that it's Tony. Like there was no, Sam never said, are you sure it's Tony? He was just like, okay, Tony, it was Tony. It was Tony. Tony's the one who pushed the cross. Tony's the one who killed the 12 year old, you know, like Tony the whole time. So it was almost like too much Like, they were too sure about it. And why wasn't Tony in jail? (laughs) Like, why wasn't Tony arrested this whole time? He's out on bail so he can kill witnesses? That doesn't make sense. And nobody would have bailed him out. There's no money. Who has has the money? Doesn't have a mother, doesn't have a father. Right. So I thought it was just weird that Tony, if Tony was going to trial for an armed robbery and killed someone and was still out and killed someone else and then was going to kill a third person... Why is he not in jail? And the, and the cops they called were like, sorry, we can't do anything. Why not? Why? He was just arrested. Was he not arrested? Uh, I think for a trial coming up, you would have to be arrested. But why would they be like, yeah, you probably killed someone, but we're going to let you go. We'll see you in the trial. And you're going to get hanged, probably, but we'll see you then. What? So I thought the first time with all that history in my brain going that he didn't really kill anybody 
that it was going to be some other character that got introduced. As the episode went on, there was no, that, there was no one else. <laughs> that might have been what the episode was missing. Maybe the reveal at the end that all these things that you didn't necessarily see who was doing what. Like, it was my mom. I'm just trying to protect my mom because, like, she was around, but not... I think Joey, having Joey try to protect his brother because you wouldn't have saw well but i mean i didn't think tony did the first thing but that would have worked too and maybe if he didn't do the first thing but joey thought he did the first thing and he was trying to protect his older brother and yeah monday morning quarterbacking i think that's what they call what we're doing (laughs) (laughs) going what i would have done sitting in my house on my couch (laughs) yeah we don't write tv so no but uh it's, it's a valid point. Maybe we're more sophisticated viewers having had a few decades since this episode was made to see other things that might have woven in there. The one cool part of the episode, I thought, is when Father Mac was going after Tony and he took his collar off. Because he didn't want to be like the priest while doing that. Right. It kind of reminded me of the episode of Next Gen when Worf takes his comm badge off when he goes to seek vengeance on the killer of his wife. You see that a lot in a cop show. They'll take their badge off and then they can do whatever they want. Well, I think it stands for something. You know, it stands for, you know, whatever your badge stands for. But I'm sure he felt more disconnected from the church by taking that off. I just liked that whole scene and I liked how that was done. I just enjoyed that. I was like, that's cool. The thing about the boxing is Father Mac is a badass. That's how the boxing ties in is like he can be a total badass priest. And and you don't doubt his badassness in this episode. You don't doubt him at all. Besides teaching the kids how to box, I think it was also a way to show how he wants to hurt himself, the alcohol mainly, but also right. just getting beat up in the ring. Right. He just wants to... Sam's like, it's okay, we're not going to hurt each other. Boom, right to the face. That was a funny yeah. cut. And it was that was... Sam's like, oh, okay. And, and you almost knew that was coming from the set. Right, just because he but it was, said that. It was a perfect transition. Right. I, I really love that. So now that we've had a little bit of time to talk about Leap of Faith, what are your thoughts on it i'm excited to see what's next (laughs) i feel like i expressed way more thoughts than i should have on this episode the next one's got to be like just fun i'm not even i'm not even (laughs) amazing uh i'm hoping the lion doesn't die i don't even know what to expect (laughs) in the next one what are from from the 30 (sighs) seconds you saw of the next episode what do you think all the bad things that, that can happen i'm hoping because i'm ignorant that the next one is gonna be okay it might be a fun romp it just might not by the look on your face <laughs> uh, uh, the one after the next one's pretty fun well yeah <laughs> oh damn where have we gone with quantum leap where did my light-hearted it's, it's quantum leap go it's definitely less original battlestar more reimagined battlestar as promised earlier we have a great interview with the actor who played the leap e in this episode bud sabatino Bud Sabatino was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, attended Brooklyn Technical High School and Polytechnic Institute of NYU, where he attained a B.S. in aerospace engineering. After school, Voight Aircraft employed him in Dallas, Texas. On a fluke, Bud attended a casting session for a local Dallas sketch comedy show. He was offered a part in the ensemble cast and asked to write for the show. The show never took off, but Bud decided to pursue acting in his spare time. His first paying gig was a Hardee's commercial, and then was cast in Born on the Fourth of July, which was shot in Dallas. 
You may know him in his work from things like Pacific Station, Civil Wars, Mad About You, General Hospital, Scrubs, or one of my favorites, Life After Beth. But us Quantum Leap fans know him as Sam's reflection in the episode Leap of Faith, where he played the Leapy, Father Frank Pastano. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to talk to you. Can we start by, uh, just tell me everything that you remember. I know it was about 25 years ago or so, but the whole process of uh, filming your part of the Leap E, Father Frank Pastano on the Quantum Leap episode, Leap of Faith. Yeah, I uh, got a call back at Universal and I wind up on a lot and I got lost and I'm walking down this alleyway and I see this guy approaching and he looked kind of familiar. And as we crossed our paths, we both nodded and said hello and smiled and kept going. Well, I finally get to the uh, call back and the casting director tells me, oh, you're just in time. Mr. Whitmore has been waiting for you. I walk in and it's the same guy that I just crossed in this alleyway. (laughs) And Mr. Whitmore just jumps up and goes, hey, bud, long time no see. (laughs) And I knew that. I knew he was going to be a character, and, you know, we just did a little improv, and the casting director just looked at Mr. Whitmore and said, you know, bud? And he goes, oh, yeah, we go back a long way. <laughs> that that was my introduction to that episode of Quantum Leap was uh, through James Whitmore, Jr. And he was the director, right? Yes, he was the director of the episode, and he told me, he says, I'll see you in a few days. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll see you in a few days, James, and... I left and just, you know, kind of swept it under the rug. And, you know, that night my agent called me up and said, hey, you're going to work in a few days. So that was my introduction. That's awesome. How many days did you do on there? Because I know you did the church room scene and the bar scene. Yeah, I, I can't remember. It was either two or three days I was on, on set. One thing I'm always curious about, we've done a lot of interviews, but it's uh, uh, with people that have been on the show, but very few people have spoken to us about the actual mirror shots and how they're accomplished. Was that like difficult to set up different angles or how did that work out? For me, it was quite easy. I mean, uh, I don't think it was that hard technically from, uh, you know, the camera position, but they actually had a mirror there. And depending on the scene, I, I think the one scene was I was in an office sitting down and they had a you know, full length mirror. The bar scene was mirror behind a bar. So uh, they just shot everything through the mirror. They were actually using mirrors. Very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. What's your recollection of the, like the atmosphere on the set and how everything, uh, how did you feel filming it? Oh, it was great. When I actually showed up, Mr. Whitmore, again, just, just a happy go lucky guy to me. And uh, he introduced me to, um, I can't remember the, uh, other character's name of the older priest that was the alcoholic but mm-hmm. the actor's name is sandy mcpeak he was an old character actor. he's since passed and sandy and uh mr whitmore had been friends for a long time and the both of them just made me feel right at home we were just cracking jokes and having a good time and it was kind of like old home week even though i didn't know him <laughs> awesome what was it like wearing a priest outfit and uh different things like that <laughs> Yeah, wearing the priest outfit was uh, no different. I'm an old Malta boy. <laughs> oh, cool. So I used to wear the uh, the vestments for the uh, at church and stuff like that. Not specifically the priest vestments, but altar boy vestments. Awesome. You've you've had a, a long career. There's a lot of things on your resume and your IMDb I've seen. So you keep really busy, it seems like. I just recently checked out the uh, Life After Beth movie. I thought you were quite funny in that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you could tell through the makeup, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it giving too much away to tell uh, what your character is in that movie? Oh, I, 
I don't care. It's uh, I'm just a, a zombie, basically. That I come back from the dead, and I don't realize I'm a zombie. It's not one of these people that just walk around in a daze. But I go back to my house with my wife, and I'm amazed that there's these strange people in my house. And I've been dead for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very funny lines, uh, you and the woman who played your wife also <laughs> in that scene. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. You're a very smart person. I, I saw on your website that you were an aerospace engineer. Uh, yeah. Uh, I originally wanted to be an aerospace engineer since I was a little kid. So uh, that's what I did. I got into aerospace. I, I went to school and got my degree and got a job and... That's what I do on the side. Wow. And how did that turn into acting? I was uh, kind of talked into going to an audition. I was working for a company down in Dallas called Board Aircraft, and somebody talked me into going to an audition for a show like Saturday Night Live, and I didn't have anything prepared, so I just ad-libbed, and I guess they were impressed with my ad-lib that they wanted me to write for the show, and long story short, there was no money involved. Uh, the money fell through. and But what I did uh, notice was all the good-looking women, so I figured I had to take an acting class instead of trying to go to bars to meet women. <laughs> so I really got into the acting to meet women, and uh, then people started paying me for it. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's not bad. That's why I went to home ec when I was uh, in school. <laughs> you were a ringer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, much better than physical education. <laughs> yeah. Cook, cooking and so on with uh, 25 girls. That's right. There's nothing wrong with that. I noticed you filmed a little bit on Born on the Fourth of July. Yep. That was the first movie I ever did, and it was shot down in Dallas. Interesting movie to work on because it's directed by Oliver Stone, and uh, it really opened my eyes to the whole industry and what a director really is. And it was a it was a good job. It really was. Very cool. Scrubs you were on. I love Scrubs. That's uh, one of my favorite shows. I always watch it every time it was on brand new. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, that, I'll tell you what. Every every show I've ever done, every play I've ever done, I've always had a good time. It's it's playing, and uh, that's the best part. They they pay you to play, so can't complain. That's awesome. Uh, stage work. I noticed you do a lot of stage work. Uh, yeah. Uh, I actually started in Dallas, Texas. Uh, was at a workshop with a casting director, and they talked about actors doing stage, and I had you know no idea of or direction of doing stage work, but I started doing stage in Dallas and live performances will hook you. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's a lot of fun. If anything can be said about acting, you got to do stage. Stage will train you for a lot of things, keep you on your toes, and that's where the real fun is. Is it uh, just the crowd and the instant reaction you get? Yeah, pretty much the instant reaction. You know, you could be doing a comedy and uh, you could hear a pin drop and you know you're laying an egg. But <laughs> but it's it's even more than that. It's, it's like you have to know your lines. Or if you don't know your lines or, you know, somebody drops stuff, you really have to be good at improv. And it really gets you into that groove of listening to the other actor. And that's the trick. That's the key of acting is to listen to your partner or what's going on with the scene, because you never know. You might have to come up with something or that's how you you I, at least I remember my lines is, oh, so and so said something. Uh, my response has got to be whatever, uh, because that's my motivation in the scene. So. It's a combination of a lot of things working on the stage. Just It's like flying 
by the seat of your pants. It really is, because there's only one shot, and no retakes, right? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, the, there's been a few times where uh, you goof up, uh, whether it's me or somebody else, and, you know, the, the audience catches it, but they're having so much fun that it doesn't matter. They know it's a live performance, and uh, everybody has fun, the audience and the actors on stage. Do you have some favorite plays or parts you've been in? Um, yeah, I guess the first play I ever did was um, Harvey, mm. and I played Mr. Wilson. I've never seen it live. How is it different from the movie? It's based on the movie, right? No, actually, the play came first, then the movie. Really? Okay, okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, most of the stuff is, uh, especially the older stuff, the play came first and then the movie. And uh, in fact, I don't even think I saw the movie when I auditioned for the part. And they had a special screening for everybody in the cast while we were rehearsing. And I figured, well, this is my first play. I don't want to see the movie. I want to be who I am instead of whoever the character is. And the character was played by an old character actor, Jesse White. I believe he played the character on Broadway himself mm. and the movie. Yeah, that that was a lot of fun. And jeez, um, I, I can't, I'll tell you what, I think every... Every play I've done, I've just had a lot of fun with. You know, every once in a while you meet uh, somebody that behind the scenes that you don't get along with, but you have to get along with. But the overall experiences from every play I've done has just been positive and fun, and you want to go do the work. That's awesome. Yeah. You don't want to work with people that aren't fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of interesting out here in Hollywood, a lot of the people... They're not really uh, theater conscious out here. Everybody wants to watch television or a movie. So there's really not a lot of good theater out here. And uh, even the actors out here, just they don't look at doing theater work as as work. But it really is. It's the best classroom you could ever have. It's better than going taking a class. Do you feel like you're constantly learning even still? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, uh, even when I'm doing engineering work, dealing with people, uh, in different situations or everything crosses over. I mean, it just, I'm looking at the way I interact with people and the different characters and the nuances and stuff like that. I mean, real life just spills over into the acting. So even, you know, your real life experience, you take into do the play or the uh, TV show, or what have you. And it's, it's really interesting because I did a play and one of the guys was complaining about staying up late and memorizing lines. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? This beats digging a ditch. <laughs> Any day. And this guy, yeah. And this guy looks at me and goes, you know, I've heard that term before, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> I said, what do you do for a living? He goes, uh, I'm an actor, but, uh, you know, I wait tables. I'm like, you dig a hole straight down and then you dig in a line how many feet they want you to dig. And that's what you do all day. And he's like, have you done that? And I said, yeah, I'm doing it today because... I ain't got no other jobs. I have to put food on the table. So I'm digging ditches during the day. And he's just like amazed. And I'm like, if you don't have this broad background of life experience, how could you really be a good actor? Mm. I mean, that's why you look at some of these young actors. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio at the time, when I first got out here, I don't know how much older I am than DiCaprio, but it was like, I look at him back then and he was a good actor. And you look at him today. And you could see how far he's grown. And it's because of all of his life experiences, all of, you know, his dealings with other actors, directors, whether he's doing some kind of a a charity work. It all feeds into your acting because 
it's it's part of you and it comes out of you. So, you know, just to stand up there and say, well, I'm an actor, it really just doesn't wash because people look at you and go, I don't believe that you could play a lawyer and you're 15 because mm. you don't have those experiences yet. You know, you could try, but you're not as good as when you're 30, 40, 50 years old. So you're always learning and you're always, that's part of the craft is bringing all of those experiences to the table. Speaking of Leonardo DiCaprio, you worked with his co-star from Titanic in this episode. Did you have any filming days with him, like in the bar or anything? Uh, you talking about Danny Nucci? Yes. Yeah, he uh, he was there and I got to talk with him and stuff like that, but uh, we didn't really uh, have a scene so much uh you know, dialogue, the, the scene was, I think, if I remember correctly, Scott Bakula basically beats the crap out of Danny <laughs> yeah. in a scene. Cause I think, cause I think Danny breaks a, a beer bottle or something like that to, mm. to attack my character. So, uh, that was the extent of the actual acting interaction, but you know, off stage and stuff like that, we were just talking. He was a nice guy. That's awesome. Uh, were Scott and Dean good to you? Uh, they, yeah, I mean, they kind of kept it themselves. I'm not the type of guy to go up to the stars of the show and, you know, just start chatting with them. So they, they stood, stood off by themselves. And I talked to them when they, they wanted to talk to me and that was it. In the bar scene, was it a thing where Scott had to step out of frame and you stepped into the frame or was it just different setups or? He did step in and step out a few times, but most of the time our backs were actually up against each other. So we were, I was mimicking what Scott was doing. Ah, is that difficult? Yes and no. I guess um, in a way, a, a lot of acting, especially for film, TV and commercials, there's a, a lot of technical aspects involved versus just acting, mm. you know, being on your mark all the time. So it's, it's kind of like, I think in a way, sometimes I'm blessed with the mechanical mind being an engineer of, oh, okay, you want this action done in a certain way. And, and I could kind of mimic it because I guess I get into my engineering mind or something like that. I don't know, but it really is interesting because it's, it, we didn't take a lot of takes in the scene, but it could turn out to be a lot of takes if you just don't get it right, mm. because it is very technical. I can see that. You have some cool hobbies, welding and knitting, which is cool. I like, I like, knit. <laughs> I, 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 I saw, I checked out your knitting on your uh, website. That was pretty cool. I've done some mm. knitting and crocheting. I'm not very good at either, but I've tried it. Uh, right. Does the welding come from just uh, having an engineering background and liking to make things? Well, it was born out of a friend of mine asked me to design a a uh, fixture to ship landing gear for uh, a contract. Mm. So I designed it and it was basically a company that came in and said, we're going to give you the contract for a go ahead. And my friend told me, he says, I, I need you to come into the shop and help me build this. And he taught me how to weld. And I fell into another job of being a welder. So uh, I work on stuff with him, different jobs besides the shipping fixtures. And so if, the acting is slow or the engineering is slow. I'm also a welder. I go into the shop and do welding. Yeah. Very cool. It's uh, something that I always wanted to do. I just never had the opportunity. But it, it... Yeah, and it's very artistic. I mean, it's it's uh, you could sit there and it's a very simplistic process, but at the same time, until it kicks in, you really don't know what you're doing because I was welding for uh, I don't know, a good month or so. And it's not until it was like, oh, that's what I'm really looking at. And then the welding really 
got better after that point because it was all mechanical versus being artistic. And a lot of welders, good welders, are very artistic. I would think knowing how to weld, you would feel like you could just make anything. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know. It's like, a, it's like a superpower to me anyway. You, you have some uh, <laughs> different things I'm interested in. I, I like all kinds of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I see you still have some projects coming out. One's in pre-production, one's in post-production. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about that stuff you have coming up? Yeah, I think the the one in uh, the one has been going on for years. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that. I shot that probably about five or six years ago, and the post-production one, uh, I believe he wants to get it out this summer sometime, and it's uh, a no-low-budget movie that it really was a labor of love. I just uh, had a good feeling about the uh, the writer and the director and then everybody in the cast and everybody who uh, worked on it, and it's been, I think it was filmed over a period of a year and a half, and he finished it up about two, three months ago. So I think he wants to get it out soon and see where it goes. It's all spec. And what's it called so people can look for it? The Unexpected Guest. All right. Who do you play? I play uh, Lieutenant Johnson. I play a cop. So uh, You've done that before. I saw that on your demo reel uh, with uh, Rusting Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he was the type of Santa Claus that needed to be beaten <laughs> after he got arrested. So uh, you, It looked like you played a few cops. Does that come with having the ability to have the Boston accent and all that? Uh, well, it's not a Boston accent. I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back because that, that might bother some people. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'll leave it in there it, it, because the, the people from Brooklyn would go, hey, what's wrong with this guy? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that come from having the Brooklyn accent or is it more just like your type? Of uh, role. I th- I, yeah, I think it's more my type. I don't think it's got anything to do with my accent because uh, I've got friends out here that come from New York and they play gangsters. So it's got nothing to do with the voice. It's it's more the demeanor and uh, the type of characters that, uh, you know, you recognize yourself in. So there's been uh, projects that I think I take more of an authoritative position for the characters that's what i get cast in hmm, i can see that i guess do you have favorite types of characters to play gee or no no is it i mean i like comedy better but it, it's like uh most people want to cast me in in drama versus comedy and i just love comedy i i grew up with the three stooges and uh Abbott and costello laurel and hardy the marx brothers and stuff like that and it's just comedy uh makes everybody laugh and making everybody laugh is a good thing make them laugh make them laugh make them laugh right that's it (laughs) that's it yeah one question i like to ask people is uh is there anything that you've done that people might not have seen that you would if they're a fan of your work and they like you they'd go seek out and find hmm gee i'm not that that's a tough question no not really i can't answer that one okay okay you you stumped me (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we'll go back to Quantum Leap a little bit. Can you tell me uh, about the filming days and where it was filmed and if it was on a soundstage and where it was and how what what it was like and the, the hours you put in? Uh, yeah, it was all filmed at Universal right on the lot. Um, I can't remember the stage number, but it's uh, really interesting how they uh, have the uh, backdrops and stuff like that. And when you see the finished product, if there's like a window or something like that, it looks like you're looking out a regular window, but it's really a painted screen right behind the, the windows and stuff. So everything was shot on the soundstage, and I can't remember, I don't believe that the days were very long. I think they were like 10-hour days, because you got to get there, and they got to get you into makeup, and 
nobody ever really spends a lot of makeup on me. They just put a lot of powder on so that my bald head doesn't shine. <laughs> and, uh, you know, make sure that wardrobe is okay. And uh, and a lot of times you're just sitting around waiting because, uh, you know, setting up the camera and the lights and stuff like that takes most of the time. And then the actual shooting of the scenes is very quick. There's only one time that I... I spent uh, 50 something takes on a commercial, but a lot of times, uh, you know, scenes in TV movie and, uh, commercials, they, they don't take, you know, 50 takes. It's 50 takes. Well, what, what commercial was that for? That was for Coca-Cola and, uh, uh, it got interesting. I mean, they were running out of ideas and they were trying to mix things up. So I was doing a lot of ad libbing and uh, stuff like that. Very cool. Did you ever see the final product of the episode, A Leap of Faith? I saw it when it came out. But what do you think of it? Oh, I liked it. I mean, I, I can't watch myself and go uh, and be objective. I just look at myself on the TV screen or, you know, the big screen and go, geez, what am I doing there? I mean, <laughs> it's like looking in the mirror. I shave every day. so <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't be object objective uh, looking at myself. But the, the actual product, I mean, Quantum Leap was such a great show. Great concept, and uh, it's just well-written and uh, acting, and everything was great about the show. So I don't think there was ever a bad episode. I can't think of one. No, no. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, being on the show, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. And uh, it was very cool to learn about your life and the filming of Quantum Leap, and I appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking me, and uh, good luck with the podcast. And uh, I, I just had a good time with you. You sound, uh, you sound like somebody I'd go have a beer with. like comic books yeah do, do you like do you like movies yes what about what about tv show that's kind of like about comic books of course what about what about gladiator movies awesome yeah what like pictures of men with their shirts off uh no listen to thinking outside the long box with Juan, john and gabe listen to my daddy's show called thinking outside the I'm Peter from Hydrate Level 4. If you haven't heard yet, Back to the Future, the animated series is finally coming to DVD on October 20th, 2015. I decided to start a new podcast, and for this new show... I needed a co-host that is just as big of a fan as I am of the first three movies. Who better than to ask Albie from the Quantum Leap Podcast? Thank you for joining me, Albie. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of Hydrate Level 4. Can you tell the listeners where they can find all this great content? The website is barrenspace.com slash BTTF for Back to the Future. Everybody knows that. And uh, it's a nice little site. And you can listen to our podcast there and get a little bit more information about each episode of Back to the Future, the animated series. And also there's the opportunity to give feedback. And that's the great idea about having season two come out incrementally after we release season one all at once is we'll be able to incorporate feedback from other Back to the Future fans as well. 
Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also like our Facebook page to stay updated with everything we put out. And also you can email us at backtothefuturetas at gmail.com. The TAS stands for the animated series. Clever, huh? So we hope to hear from you guys in the future. Calling all writers, do you have an original Quantum Leap story that you want to share with fellow leapers? Well, now's your chance. Announcing the Quantum Leap Podcast's short fiction contest. I don't control my future. You do. You heard it from Sam himself. Help Dr. Beckett leap from life to life, trying to put right what once went wrong. We're looking for your original Quantum Leap adventures about Sam, Al, Ziggy, Gushy, Donna, Beth, leapers, leapies, anyone or anything, as long as it's set in the established Quantum Leap universe. Here are some ground rules. We're looking for original stories that haven't appeared anywhere in print or online. Keep it to 5,000 words or less. We're not looking for your unpublished novel here. Email submissions to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. And you can go to the Quantum Leap Podcast website for more details. The first eight participants will get a small prize. And the top three entries, as judged by the Quantum Leap Podcast team, will receive an autographed copy of my Quantum Leap novel, Foreknowledge. Winning stories will be read on the podcast. So what are you waiting for? Hop into the accelerator chamber and make the leap. Enter the Quantum Leap Podcast Short Fiction Contest now. Tell me about Leap of Faith. Well, Leap of Faith wasn't one, didn't end up being one of my favorite episodes, but it was, you know, it was another... A lot of those stories would start with us sitting in a room with, uh, you know, pens and, and index cards, just coming up with things that Sam could become, you know, like a boxer or a, or a, a killer or a bathing suit model or a priest. So we'd always had priests up there and, and priests sort of, you know, people would pass it by and pass it by and finally priests kept coming around and it was like, okay, you got to go develop a story about Sam as a, as a young priest. And, and then I, you know, I was always, I'm a big sports guy and, and I thought, well, if I can connect this to boxing and then I really liked, we cast a young actor in that, that I really liked a guy named Danny Nucci mm-hmm. who, who played the young kid in that part. And I was really taken by Danny. And so I enjoyed writing for him. And, um, you know, it was just, it was just another episode that you, you try to find the thing I remember about that episode, Jimmy Whitmore, I think directed that. And Jimmy was one of our go-to directors and a great guy. Um, his father was James Whitmore, a very famous actor. And Jimmy had been an actor, had been in uh, a lot of TV shows in the seventies. But, um, there's a train sequence in that at the, at the conclusion of that, where he's supposed to get run over by the priest is supposed to get run over by this train. And, and, and I remember we, we found this train, but they wouldn't let us run the train over like five miles an hour. So I was like, how are we going to, how are we going to create any drama of this train bearing down on this poor man? If it, if it's only going five <laughs> miles an hour, you know, it was like the scene from, uh, 
what's the Austin, Austin Powers? Powers? Yeah, yeah, where mm-hmm. he's trying to run over the guy with the steamroller. <laughs> it, it, it became that thing, you know. Where <laughs> so we had to sort of do a lot of editing cheats, mm-hmm. and we had to speed the film up, and and it was just that. I just remember that that was the my memory of that episode was the nightmare of trying to make it look. Uh, like that train was going to do any damage to anybody at all. So that's, that's, that's sort of my memory of that episode. Yeah, this is Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. And that was Bud Sabatino. That was really cool to find out more about him and the technical aspect that we hadn't heard about before. He seems like a really good guy. Yeah, and smart, too. And now, a segment from Christopher D. Philippus. Welcome, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis, and I'm thrilled to be here with you all, celebrating the demise of the most egregiously abused Quantum Leap stereotype this side of the racist southern good old boy. Open your ears and listen up, paisans. Leap of Faith marks the last time an Italian-American was featured as a villain on Quantum Leap, and the retirement was long past due. Not for nothing, but I'm a Bronx Italian from a family of Bronx Italians. And as we Italians like to say, all right already. For a show that was all about tolerance and inclusiveness, Quantum Leap had a giant blind spot when it came to Italians, portraying them almost exclusively as clergy or criminals. And not only were they crooks, they were usually brazen murderers and buffoons to boot. And Moron did they start off with a bang with the first season episode, Double Identity. They pulled out all the stops with Tony and Teresa and Frankie and Primo and Segundo and Mama and that most ludicrous of Brooklyn gangster heavies, Don Gino. It was like something out of Amos and Andy. But it's not hard to figure out why Don Belisario wrote this episode. Double Identity aired in 1989, hot on the heels of Dean Stockwell's 1988 film hit, Married to the Mob. I suspect they produced this episode expressly to lure fans of that movie to the show. And I will give Double Identity this. It does really nail a lot of quirky Italian cultural stuff, in a very funny, warts-and-all way. And it gives us one of Quantum Leap's first all-time moments. Volare! Oh, oh. Oh, oh. Cantare. Oh, 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 oh. Cantare. Oh, 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 oh. I still crack up whenever I see Sam singing Volare. <laughs> Who doesn't? Volare. Oh, I got it. Cantare. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. And it probably never would have happened without a gaudy Italian wedding scene. As an Italian, Don knew the right cultural buttons to press, but I wish he would have done so with a story that didn't require all of the Italian men to be a bunch of knuckleheaded murderers. The stereotypes aren't so ludicrous in subsequent episodes, but the murderous tendencies take on a much harder edge. There's the human trafficking, drug smuggling, machine gun wielding nut job, Nick Kochafos in Her Charm, who shoots up a suburban neighborhood just because. In fairness, Kochafos is a made up name that sounds kinda Greek, but Nick sure comes across as Italian. There's no ambiguity with the next two murderers, though. The sister-killing Jimmy Giovanni in A Portrait for Troyan, 
and the barely reformed gangster Vincent Loggia, aka Vinny the Viper, in Seabride. And that brings us back to Leap of Faith, and the reprehensible Tony Pronti, played to perfection by Danny Nucci. If you look up sleazy Italian greaseball in the dictionary, I'm pretty sure you'll find Tony's picture. Thankfully, Tony's appearance marks the end of the Italian thug on Quantum Leap. Even better, he's also the last QL villain that openly threatens to kill people with seeming impunity. It's a trait of many first and second season Quantum Leap baddies, nationalities notwithstanding. Think Roger from Honeymoon Express. Going forward, the show's antagonists become less two-dimensional and more nuanced, by 90s television standards anyway. Well, except maybe for Terry Funk's wrestling character in Heart of a Champion. But pro wrestling storylines have their own very strict demands. And one of them is an ostentatiously cartoonish villain. From this point on, only three overtly Italian characters will be featured on Quantum Leap. The first is Harry Spontini from The Great Spontini. Not a bad sort, so far as questionably fit, failed magician dads go. The other two, we've already had the privilege of meeting. First up is devoted family man and all-around great guy Frank LaMotta from the season two episode, Jimmy. John Aquino played Frank with such heart, and Jimmy became such a fan favorite that the LaMottas were brought back for the season five episode, Deliver Us From Evil, which introduced the evil Leaper. Aside from their last name, the LaMottas' ethnicity doesn't play into their character portrayals at all, which, for Quantum Leap, is kind of a Quantum Leap, where Italians are concerned. And the other stand-up Italian on Quantum Leap is, of course, none other than the man himself, Rear Admiral Albert Calavici. Al's Italian heritage isn't a big part of his character, but it does feature prominently in Double Identity, and is obliquely acknowledged in some of his more colorful expressions on the show, like calling Sam Hopalong Casadich, and through his lapsed Catholicism in Leap of Faith, which are nice flourishes that give his character depth. So don't get me wrong, I'm not some PC nutjob demanding cultural retribution here. If I were, I'd have far bigger targets to aim at than Quantum Leap. But Leap of Faith is the last time that a screamingly negative Italian stereotype ever appears on the show, and I couldn't let it pass unacknowledged. Now, let's put all this ugliness behind us, eh? Let me make you an offer you can't refuse. You, come to my house Sunday for some nice sauce. And then we'll gather around the TV with my sainted mama. And my first and second born sons, Primo and Segundo. Well, what else would I name them? And we'll all have a laugh at double identity. There might even be a cannoli in it for you. If I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. Thanks, Chris. We have some Facebook feedback. This is from Tina Maria Hazel. Hi, still catching up on previous podcasts. Love listening to the interviews. I'm listening to Seabride right now. Also, enjoying your educational information about car seat safety. It's amazing how far we've come. Looking forward to hearing more. Thank you for keeping the podcast alive. Tina. Oh, that's nice. Somebody liked the car seat segment. It's important. Yes. Not fun to talk about, except Love by maybe you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important. We want to keep our little ones as safe as we can. And these emails will be read by Juan. This one's from Barbara Noel, and it's about The Leap Home Part 1. Dearest Albie and Heather, so now I'm all caught up and ready to move forward with the podcast. 
I felt Al was very cold to Sam about the fairness regarding not being able to help his own family. And Al wanting to switch places, he would want to see his family. Thanks to Albie, I went back to watching this episode. Because my telly was up to this episode slash showing it. So I noticed Sam asking about a reference to Beth. I like that Sam gets to invent stuff we know occurred in history. I like the high five bit. It was enjoyable to me. And Al correcting the coach about not calling it patty cake. Heather. How much I want to spoil you, but I will respect Albie and not spoil you. But I am making notes for future podcasts. For instance, Season 3, Episode 7. Albie, I hope it's okay and that I'm not going off topic, or not totally anyway. If so, let me apologize in advance. I have just seen Predestination with Ethan Hawke, and it is an amazing movie. As you would know by now how much I'm into and love time travel stories. So glad you enjoyed them as well. Interested to know about Field of Dreams. I like that Sam would have that field in his backyard. I am a bit jealous of him. I never noticed how Scott Bakula runs, but I have since noticed his run and when he runs on NCIS New Orleans. I have also begun to say things like Yamola since the Color of Truth episode, and also things like Kaka. They sound childlike and is an admirable trait about him. Perhaps we can just call them Alisms. I hope you don't mind if I say it once more, as I already said it on Twitter, at Noel Babs. Thank you so very much for having the Scott Bakula interview. Truly, the most enjoyable interview ever. He's such a loverly, lovely human being. And Albie, happy belated birthday. I wish I could have such a beautiful gift, an awesome birthday present. After the heads up notice from a previous email, I looked at the new appearance of the website. And kudos on the nice work done. I love it. And now, onward and upward towards my email for The Leap Home Part 2. Sincerely and respectfully yours, Barbara Noel. Thank you, Barbara. Scott Bagula is awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Leap Home Part 1 was a really good episode. And it's cool that like she went back and, and rewatched it for certain things. But I like, I, I like in every episode where he reinvents stuff. What was it on Doctor Who recently where he taught people the word dude way before their time? Dude. Dude. Dude is such a universal word. Means everything. It's like Smurf. Yeah. Thank you for not spoiling Heather. If anyone does have the urge to spoil Heather, her Amazon wish list is on our website. <laughs> That's funny. I see what you did there. And this next one's from Leslie. I Won't Be Damned, an analogy of the man behind the hologram by Leslie Wenzel. During the first scenes of the episode Seabride, Sam asks Al why he gets, as he put it, all the easy stuff. Al, with his devil-may-care shrug and Italian hand-speak wave, responds to his best friend's inquiry with a casual, Just lucky, I guess. Anyone who has not been following this incredibly well-put-together podcast, not to mention the Quantum Leap series itself, knows by now that nothing could be further from the truth. If one were to ask Ziggy to search for two words which eponymize pain, loss, and antithesis of good fortune, she would probably come up with the name Al Calavici. The oldest of two children, a young Al watched as his mother, unable to deal with the needs of his sister Trudy, abandoned the family. His father's construction jobs moved them around the country until they took him where he and his sister could not follow, the Middle East. Al ended up in an orphanage and Trudy was institutionalized. When he was 10 years old, his father returned, briefly reuniting the family only to die from cancer shortly thereafter. Twice in his young life, Al has lost someone dear to him. When he was 19, Al went to get his sister out of the orphanage only to learn that she died due to negligence or, as they put it, pneumonia. Loss number three. Fast forward to his marriage, the love of his life, 
Beth. Though he truly loved her, a childhood fraught with numerous escapes from what could never be described as the loving family life that Sam had, not to diminish for one instant the tragic loss of Sam's father and the pain of watching his sister Katie put up with an abusive alcoholic, had taught him to never fully settle down. That's not to say that, as a naval pilot, he wasn't a devoted officer who was committed to serving his country. But... It might have influenced his TDY assignments and tours of duty. As Beth explained it to Dirk, in the eight years we've been married, we've actually lived together less than two. Perhaps the hardships Al experienced so early in life made it impossible for him to realize he actually deserved to settle down and be happy. Then in 1967, his A-4 was shot down over the highlands in Vietnam, and he was held as a prisoner of war, caged, beaten, interrogated, and tortured. When Al was repatriated in 1975, remember that Al's sacrifice gained him two additional agonizing years in the prison camps. He was told that his wife Beth had him declared dead. His marriage had been annulled and Beth had remarried. Four more failed marriages would follow and Al would eventually find himself in an almost career-ending downward spiral. How then has Al retained the outlook of one so full of optimism, of joy, a fun-seeking, essentially harmless debauchery. Al once told Sam in Disco Inferno that a lot of really good things had happened to him in the 1970s. It's possible the Swiss cheese effect that Quantum Leaping had on Sam's mind enabled Al to look at his past with the same unintentional forgetfulness that Sam, as a result of his experiment Gankaka, now possessed. Yet despite the need to drown out the horrors of his past in Sam's magnafoozled memory, it cannot be denied that Al is a survivor. But he was no longer alone. Ten years after Al came home to an empty house, he, Al, met Dr. Sam Beckett at Project Starbright. Without giving away too much of the events which cemented their friendship, Sam's natural instinct for reading people told him that this was a man who needed him. A man whose heart, despite everything he had been through, was pure gold. It might have taken incalculable amounts of Sam's innate gift for relentless persuasion, but the young scientist was eventually able to convince his forlorn friend that he still had much to offer. From that moment on, the two were both inseparable and unstoppable. Sam would ultimately discover that he needed Al every bit as much as Al needed him to pitch his brilliant ideas to the committee, gain approval for funding, and now that he's locked in time, to serve as a constant friend, guide, and source of information. Imagine Al's immeasurable feeling of gratitude. Then envision his utter despair as he opened the imaging chamber door and saw his best friend lying on the floor of the chapel, not moving, his head bleeding. His dearest friend, the first person in a very long time who believed in him. He was going to become the latest casualty in Al's life. Not if he had anything to say about it. After a heartrendingly futile attempt to lift his fallen friend off the floor, Al knelt beside Sam and prayed. First in anger, then desperately pleading to God, fate, time, or whatever, not to take a man who had done so much, a man who had helped so many people. Al wasn't going to lose Sam. Al is still ever the optimist, the fun-seeking, lovable, lecherous imp with the golden heart. He is also the most steadfast, loyal, dependable companion a Swiss cheese scientist could ever ask for. And he will do everything in his power to ensure that nothing happens to Sam because a long time ago, Al decided, I won't be damned. And this next one's from Timothy Devereaux. 
Something I pulled from the episode is each character has issue with God's will and is angry at God for something that occurred in the past. They haven't accepted certain tragic events or understood why it happened. For Father Mac, it was the death of the altar boy that happened before Sam leaped into Father Frank. It was also for all the people he killed while in Korea. For Tony, it was his father's suicide and for Al... It was his father's death from cancer and subsequent breakup of his family. These are all difficult to overcome. Now, what I find interesting is that someone who dedicated his entire life to God, such as Father Mac, still questions God's wisdom. The same goes for Al, who is involved in Project Quantum Leap, which, as we know, is driven by an unknown force, i.e., God, to change history for the better. However, As mad as someone like Al or Father Mac may get at God, they both come full circle within the episode. Al prays to God for Sam to survive an assassination attempt by Tony, and Sam pleads with Father Mac to not kill Tony, which is arguably divine intervention too. The amazing thing about Sam is that he has the ability to humble people like Al or Father Mac who can easily dismiss other opinions or ways of thinking because of their status within society, yet he somehow gets them to understand the error of their ways and accept their mistakes. I know it's TV, but it was a great message to send to fans of the show. Timothy Devereaux. Thank you, Timothy. At the end of the episode, we find out that Sam is still religious, more religious, because he's very proud of Al, let's say, for praying for him. That was an ending that really didn't do anything for me. Your thoughts, Heather? No, I don't have any. I think that was meant to be part of the message of this episode as well, maybe. I got nothing. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much, Timothy. This one's from Barbara Noel. And this one's about the Leap Home Part 2. Hi, Albie and Heather. Okay. Here I am back again, as promised, for my email feedback of The Leap Home Part 2. I never really realized or thought this was a real trilogy. I can't wait until you get to the real trilogy in Season 5, though. One of my favorite episodes, by the way. But I keep my promise not to spoil you, Heather. I wish I was able to meet Mr. Dean Stockwell. I would have been the one to pass on your hugs to him, as well as for myself as a loving fan of Mr. Stockwell. But what if, in some kind of not-too-distant future, you might want to interview him? How cool would that be? It's a suggestion. Do you even have a suggestion box? But anyway, let's not digress. I was so very pleased to listen and to learn so much about Mr. David Newsom during his interview with you, Albie. I even went back and rewatched his episode of Men of a Certain Age. So cool he got to play Scott's brother in that as well. So awesome. Way cool stuff. Another suggestion for your suggestion box that you don't have, or don't have yet, what if when you finish doing a podcast for Quantum Leap, would you ever think to do one for men of a certain age? I heard this group of people who did a podcast at that time, as in when it was still running on live TV, and it consisted of a bunch of guys and a couple of girls. The guys spent all their time on the show complaining that there are women on the podcast, and it was meant to be just the guys. One podcast I would highly not recommend to anyone who loves or cares or has any respect for podcasting. But I believe you, Albie, and your lovely wife, Heather, would be fantastic at it. But as I say, it's only just a suggestion. And I guess I should say something about this episode. Yes, it was one of my favorites. I love that we get to learn about both our leading men, Sam and Al. And perhaps that they both grew a little bit closer as friends. Thanks for sharing and keep up the excellent work. Can't wait to hear your next podcast about the priest. Sincerely and respectfully yours, Barbara Noel. 
We don't have a suggestion box other than just normal feedback channels, but I like those suggestions. Uh, Men of a Certain Age podcast. I don't know. I have never watched the show. We could have the same <laughs> the same concept for that show as well. I think lately my thought process is after uh, we've completed the Quantum Leap podcast many, many years from now, I might start working on original works. There's a while till we get to the end, so our minds will probably change a lot before then. A few times. I'm sure at the end of this, then there'll be a Quantum Leap reboot, and there you go. <laughs> That'd be pretty interesting. I think we're pretty much committed to that if that happens. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we have a choice. Right, we're the Quantum Leap podcast. I know. Not a Quantum Leap podcast. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure. <laughs> not as much pressure as Dr. Sam Beckett feels when he leaps into a situation that he's not sure where he is or what he has to do to make his next leap, which may, in fact, be the leap home. Okay, Ziggy, calm down. <laughs> this next one's from John Spina. Or John Spina. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly, John. Hey guys, I just wanted to add my entry for the print by saying I've been really enjoying the show and it's great to listen to a current discussion of Quantum Leap to this day. Not too many people around me seem to even remember the show. This needs to change. I did want to bring up one thing though that I thought you guys might touch on. What are your thoughts on Tom being saved? It was such a main focus of part one and two, yet when it actually happens, it's overshadowed by Sam realizing he could have saved Al, which is great by the way, and I loved how Sam doesn't even have time to react, but at the same time, we don't find out anything more. Al just says Maggie wins the Pulitzer, but with Tom living, this would have an effect on Sam's life. Clearly, Sam still goes through the Quantum Leap process, but it's just interesting that for such a big focus point in these episodes, in the end, it seems like it's overlooked. But maybe it's supposed to. I don't know. Anyway, keep up the great work, and I'll continue to listen. John Spina. That was my exact point in this episode. They should have said something, you know, something along the lines of, hey, you're, so your brother has four kids and a wife, and he's doing great. Just in case you were wondering, you know, like they don't touch on that at all. They don't have a, a moment where Sam's like, hey, sorry about my last sleep. I think the tone of the end of the episode might have been ruined if they got into too much exposition. I just mean like the next episode. They <laughs> continued it a lot because like I, the end of the episode is, is shocking and it's awesome and it's you lose out on like. I think you just have to take a leap of faith afterwards. I want to smack you for that. <laughs> I just want to smack you for that. So uh, John was one of our entrants in the print giveaway and they had to email us a certain code phrase to enter the giveaway. And a lot of people did. And we randomly picked a winner. And coincidentally, the winner of the first print given away is... John Spina. How about that? That's pretty cool. <laughs> but congratulations. Yes, that's awesome. And I'm sure it will be on its way in a little bit. Siri picked the winner. Which is funny because like, a ask Ziggy. It's kind of the same. <laughs> ask well, Siri. I wonder if I could configure my iPhone to respond to Ziggy instead of Siri. And every time you like unlock it, it goes... Like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that noise. <laughs> the pterodactyl noise. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like Ziggy. There are so, so many ways to leave your feedback with us. Many, many, many ways. You can find out about all of them at quantumleappodcast.com. Which is an awesome updated website. So go check that out anyway. Some people like it. You can email us. Send us an mp3 at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. We are on Twitter at quantumleappod. And on Instagram. 
at Quantum Leap Podcast. And you'd always call us on the old-fashioned phone at 707-847-6682. And don't be shy. Nobody's going to answer except a computer. Yeah, so leave us a voicemail because that's always fun. Unless you're shy in front of computers. I'm glad I'm not. I feel like that could go in a totally different way. (laughs) Or you could be awesome and you could totally donate on Patreon. Yes, you can go to our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. There's also a link from our quantumleappodcast.com page. And be cool and help out the show and uh, give whatever you can. A very special thanks to our patrons, Tom Quinn, Donald Summerlin, Nancy Quinn, and our newest patron, Matt Dale. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. You're like our little family. They like us. They believe in us. They like what we do. Thank you so much. Again, you can be part of the team by going to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. But do they get anything? There is special content ahead of time. A lot of times they'll get a, uh, they might get a proof copy of the show or an interview ahead of time, sometime weeks ahead of time. There's always special things for our Patreon members. Pretty much if you're a patron of the Quantum Leap podcast, you're a part of the crew. So uh, you get let in on a lot of stuff way ahead of time. The top secret stuff. <laughs> stuff you couldn't understand. Stuff you wouldn't understand. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. And now it's time for Hayden's segment. This should be interesting. Hey Leapers, this is Hayden. You've taken a leap of faith, now you're in Quantum Deep. I've always said that the real gems of the Quantum Leap series are those episodes in which we learn more about Al. Leap of Faith is no exception. We learn that Al's father returned from the Middle East. He tried to put the family back together, pulling Al and Trudy out of the orphanage and institution and even buying them a house, only then to be diagnosed with cancer. He told Al that he would be okay as long as Al prayed for him. So Al prayed and prayed up until the day that his father died. After that, Al swore to turn his back on God forever. Al's position is an interesting one. He didn't say that the experience made him believe that there isn't a God. In fact, he has explicitly stated in the past that he believes the devil exists. And Satan can't exist without God. So it makes me think that Al still firmly believes in God, but just doesn't want anything to do with him. Al's behavior in this episode seems to support this as well. He doesn't want to go near the church. Did he believe that something would happen if a sinner such as himself went in there? He also didn't like the idea of Sam listening to confessions, considering them sacred. Surprising Sam, to which Al's only explanation was that old habits die hard. And when Sam was shot, Al's choice of words was odd. I swore I would never have anything to do with you again. But you can't let this happen to Sam. He's helped too many people. There you have it, straight from the horse's mouth. Through everything, Al still believed in God, just wanted nothing to do with him. Many atheists might have a problem with Al's stance and progression throughout this episode. If Al truly was atheist... He would not have taken his unsure and uncomfortable stance over the church and confession. Atheism is the lack of belief in any god. If you don't believe in any higher power, why would you be worried being around its place of worship? But if you recognize Al's position as a lapsed, non-practicing Catholic, it makes more sense and is something to be less annoyed by. 
Personally, as an atheist, though, I would have preferred Tommy Thompson to take the atheist stance. Though you really can't do that when it's already established that Al believes in the devil. Because then Al's prayer to save Sam would have had an entirely different meaning. Sam has made it clear that he does believe in God. He comes from a religious background and has a great deal of faith. To somebody who's not religious, prayer is just doing nothing while making yourself feel better about doing nothing. But to a religious person, a prayer is the most powerful and meaningful thing somebody could do for another person. So if Tommy Thompson had written Al's character as an atheist, his prayer would have been more of a symbol that Al is willing to do anything for Sam, even to support Sam in his beliefs and to show Sam that Al cares more about him than his own mindset. But the stance taken in the writing to have Al as a lapsed non-practicing Catholic who will turn to prayer in an extreme circumstance is still valid and meaningful to me. And in the Quantum Leap universe, it is pretty much accepted that God and Satan exist. So in a fictional show, one who doesn't believe in God or Satan can still enjoy a fictional story about fictional characters who believe in other fictional characters. To portray any group on television, one must try to be as accurate and as respectful as possible. Since in this episode the focus is Christianity, in particular Catholicism, one has to consider if what is portrayed in the episode is truthful and not offensive. The part which made me question this the most was the scene where Sam has to hear confessions in the place of Father McRoberts. While Sam's intentions to help Father McRoberts dry out and keep him out of the public eye until the court case to keep him safe were good, Al said it best. Confessions are sacred, at least to Catholics. They are to be kept private between the sinner, the priest, and God. And the priest is there to help the sinner to pray for forgiveness. There are two main issues that put this sacred practice in jeopardy by having Sam hear the confessions instead. The first is that Sam has not ever taken any vow to not reveal what those are seeking forgiveness had said. There is a chance, however unlikely, that Sam could spread these secrets. The second is that Sam does not have any training as a priest. This means he does not know how to help the parishioners to gain their forgiveness. This is a particularly worrying thought when, in a universe where God exists and is powerful and vengeful, that these people may be condemned to hell even though they tried to repent. These same issues were vocalised in the Quantum Leap novel Angels Unaware where the priest Sam had leapt into was very concerned and adamant that Sam should not do the confessions in his absence, but was also worried that souls may be lost if there was nobody qualified to hear the confessions in the given time frame. They were able to come to a compromise, that the priest would join Al in the imaging chamber, with Al keeping his ears plugged. The priest would hear the confessions and have Sam repeat the instructions to pass on to the sinner. They figured that Sam would lose all memory of the experience and what was said when he next leapt, and that Sam, having been put there by God himself, could be trusted with the secrets. I asked the more religious members of the Facebook page if these issues were worrying to them. The general consensus was the same as that in Angels Unaware, that Sam was put there by God and so could be trusted with the secrets that he would likely forget them after leaping anyway, that Tony was the first person in the confessional and shot Sam before he could hear any confessions anyway, and that if a person is truly repentant and seeks forgiveness, God will grant it even without the help of the priest.
It is said that religion is a topic that, if talked about, is guaranteed to make you lose friends. But in a progressive world where the doctrines of religion are becoming less and less meaningful and relevant, it is important that everyone realizes that it is okay to believe in a religion and it is okay to not believe in a religion. However, it is not okay to push your beliefs or lack thereof on anyone else, nor is it okay for religion to enter politics, thereby creating biased legislation which is out of touch with many sectors of the general public. Discussions and debates need to happen so that society can progress in a way that is fair and lets everyone live in peace and with happiness, but any discussion and debate needs to be sensitive and respectful to all. In short, by all means talk about it, discuss it, but don't be a dick about it. I think Hayden did really good on that segment, and I'm proud of him for coming out as a non-believer. A lot of people keep that to themselves. I'm always interested to hear what Hayden has to say. Yeah, he's an interesting guy, great writer, and uh, I enjoy his stuff. I enjoy his work. Thank you so much, Hayden.
And that was I Always Feel Like I'm Gonna Quantum Leap by Bone Cage. You can subscribe to Bone Cage on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and he's on Patreon. Heather, do you have any news? So there's a new restaurant in San Francisco. Not really sure the correlation here, but it's called Al's Place. Well, the biggest Quantum Leap fan site on the web is Al's Place. So probably. It's got something a little bit to do. Yeah, but that's pretty cool. I wonder if there's like really cool decorations and... That'd be cool. Like the bathroom's called the imaging chamber or something. I don't know. (laughs) People just walking around talking to people that aren't there. (laughs) And blinky lights everywhere. That's really cool. Like the the servers wearing like lightning bolt ties. Didn't you talk to like Rob Sestronino on Twitter this week? Yes. They did an episode of Rob Has a Podcast where they talked about the whole history of Survivor. And I'm a big Survivor fan. I've always loved Survivor. And I really like Rob. He does a great podcast. If you watch the podcast awards last year, he won half of them and the funny hat guy won the other half of them. (laughs) So uh, he's a really cool guy. And they did an episode where they looked back at all the survivors and did it from a time travel perspective. And they did it in the theme of Quantum Leap. So that was really nice. Uh, Some of our, yeah, some of our listeners sent me links right away and I checked it out and I tweeted him and I said, great job. And he said, thank you so much for the retweet. And he said, I hope we did the show proud. And I I, I think he did. And then I retweeted the tweet of the tweet. (laughs) I was just so excited that a survivor and a pretty famous one at that and uh, a big wig in the podcast community took the time to... uh, talk with us. And so, and he's a Quantum Leap fan as well. So that's why they did this. So it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, if you haven't heard it, there'll be links in the show notes and I highly recommend it. Rob has a podcast and that one's uh, got a Quantum Leap theme to it. A good, good jumping in point. Also, I want to, I want to relay that we have a lot of um, pictures, links and stuff that people send us on Facebook. Um, so please go check out our Facebook page because there's things there that we, we really can't describe to you in audio format. So go check out our Facebook page because there's people are sharing things all the time, links to Quantum Leap related things or um, pictures that they've met with stars or, or different videos that kind of relate to Quantum Leap. It's, it's, it's a really awesome community we have going on there. Martin Totten has a great set of photos that he tries to meet all the Quantum Leap stars he can. So he totally he, jealous of him. Oh, he meets like everybody. So he's awesome. Well, it, it's funny. We have a we have a wall of vein in our house where we have the stars that we've met and people come over and they're like, wow, I don't know who those people are. But <laughs> mostly Star Trek. Well, yeah, mostly Star Trek. But it's really cool because there's some from before we had Rennie and there's some when she's a little tiny baby. And so it'll be cool to watch her grow up next to the stars of <laughs> You know, from comic book conventions. As the next gen crew gets older and older, they won't be able to hold her any anymore because she's getting bigger. Right. We should do that like <laughs> like a like when she's a teenager. I can't take a before and after. Brent Spiner, can you hold her please? <laughs> He'll look at us like I'm I'm in a wheelchair. Leave me alone. Well, but I mean if we brought the before picture, they'd yeah. be like, That's awesome. Yeah, let's do this. Great people. Yeah. Yeah, and um, also a little sad news. Dean Stockwell won't be appearing at the convention like we thought he was going to be. So I guess he... Health hot, reasons. Health reasons, right? Yeah. It's awesome that he tries to go, but I mean, things happen. What's nice about those stars is they don't have to be at those conventions, but you can see how much they love their fans when they go. So I'm sure he would love to be there, but your health comes first. It does. It really does. He has to take good care of himself so he can stick around some more. Oh, yeah. Get well soon, Mr. Stockwell. Heather, thank you for the news. Do you have any trivia? I actually have one that I really think you're going to like. Okay. I haven't looked at it yet. So remember when you were trying to get the whole 1963 and CVS thing? Yes. To 
to be a thing. But it wasn't. But it wasn't. Well, so the year of this episode is 1963. And there's a headline on the Philadelphia Guardian that read, Bangladesh calls for more flood aid for its homeless. Well, Bangladesh did not exist as a country until 1971. Aha! So in 1963, it would have been called East Pakistan, not Bangladesh. So so they got the uh, Bangladesh thing wrong, but the CVS thing right. So it was a little bit of a harder thing to spot. Yeah, I would have to be more caught up on geography and the history of geography. This one, I thought I was losing my mind than this next one, because I noticed it every single time I watched the episode, but I thought I was just being nitpicky. But apparently not. When they're walking down the train tracks and it starts raining, it's like downpouring in sheets and they're completely dry. Downpour. Now in the next shot, they're soaked by the time they get back. So I was like, well, maybe... Scotch guard on the the robes. Well, I was thinking like maybe I was just being picky. But when it starts to rain, you get wet right away. Like you get wet when it starts raining, especially when it completely decides to monsoon with sheets of rain and they were dry in that scene. I can't disagree with your understanding of physics. Oh, good. In the cemetery scene, now this one is not one that I spotted until I read the trivia. In the cemetery, there are palm trees in Philadelphia, which probably doesn't I don't make remember sense. palm trees in Philadelphia much. Yeah, I mean, like I've been there and I don't I don't think they're there. I don't think the winters are are warm enough for that. Not impossible if they were shipped in, planted and then they die and then they keep repeating the process, but highly unlikely. So, oops. Whoopsie. So that's it for the trivia on this episode. That was pretty good trivia. Now I'm going to go watch it again just to see those things. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That was all the truth. Those were all good ones. So I enjoyed that. I hate when it's like, and sometimes the door is white and sometimes it's off white. (laughs) You know, like that's dumb. Yeah, it wasn't too nitpicky. Palm trees in Philadelphia. You don't see that very often. No. This is Christopher DeFilippis, and it's time for your Quantum Leap radio sightings. When we last left Chris, our daring Quantum Leap radio guru was rounding up the radios that appeared in the series premiere Genesis. Three radios in all, and all of them anachronistic to the leap date of 1956. Satisfied with a job well done, our radio hunter rode off to hunt new game when he was ambushed by a mysterious blot that lurched out of the shadows. What enigma has waylaid our intrepid explorer? Find out in this thrilling new episode of the Quantum Leap Radio Sightings. Look, blame it on the DVDs. I got my hands on the first season set and rewatched episodes that I had only been able to stream in standard def on the NBC website, including Genesis. And the sharper picture revealed a radio I had missed. And good news, it's not anachronistic. It's a 1954 General Electric Model 557, and it's yet another ugly clock radio, bringing the ugly clock radio count in Genesis to three out of four. It's seen in Dr. Berger's office when he's talking with Sam about the psychoval, and it's easy to miss. A squat, oblong set with a maroon front in a maroon plastic cabinet featuring a large round clock face. It was just a shadowy blot in the standard deaf stream, and I thought it was a time clock or something. There's no radio dial in sight. But the DVD picture revealed that it is, in fact, the GE 557. The tuning dial for the 557 is just a knob on the side of the set. It's the same color as the cabinet, so it doesn't really show up on camera. I'm tempted to say that the GE designers who came up with the homely 557 gasped in horror at what they had wrought and banished it out into the world, never to be spoken of again. 
but it has sister sets that come in ivory and mint green, which are actually pretty sharp little radios. There's also a possible fifth radio in Genesis, a piece of furniture in a shadowy corner of the Stratton's living room that might or might not be an old wooden console. But it's nearly impossible to make out, even with the better DVD picture. So we might have to readdress Genesis yet again when the Blu-rays come out. God help us all. Which brings us to our current episode, Leap of Faith. Despite the swinging rock and roll atmosphere of most Catholic rectories, there's an unaccountable lack of radios featured in this episode. Tony probably stole them all. And that's all we have time for, radio fans. I'll see you in our next thrilling installment of the Quantum Leap Radio Sightings. Until then, this is your Quantum Leap Radio Guru, signing off. Well, Heather, are you excited for the next episode, One Strobe Over the Line? I'm hesitant to say yes. But I think I think I, I like them all. I mean, yes, I, I wasn't very nice to this episode. It wasn't very nice to you. <sighs> but I'm hopeful. I'm, I, I don't see what could be bad in the next one. There's a photographer in very tight jeans. There's a lion. There's supermodels. What could possibly go wrong? I have a feeling it's going to be a murder and he's going to photograph it or has to. St- I don't know. And now I'm thinking the worst. Ooh, I think that's an episode, but I don't think that's the next episode. Here's to hoping it's like a fun romp. In the next episode of Quantum Leap, it's 1965 and Sam leaps into a New York City fashion photographer, Carl Granson. Don't worry, Carl. Lions never eat photographers. They give them indigestion. Oh. How you feeling? I'm fine. That's interesting. Because you look like a little country girl who's tired from a long day of milking cows. Right now, Byron is about two heartbeats away from calling Stuart Cowley and replacing you. Here, take these. Al. Oh. Al. What? I think I gotta do a, a photo shooter. Yeah, I wish it was for Playboy. Al. All right. All right, Sam. I mean, a man's got to have his dreams. <sighs> Let's see. Our name is Carl Granson. Al, I can't believe I'm here to do a summer high fashion spread. Have you met a model named Edie Lansdale? I met an Edie. In uh, three and a half days, Edie overdoses on a combination of pills and alcohol. Ding-a-ling. Helen. What are you doing? <laughs> No wonder you didn't come over last night. You're dumping me for Edie. She might be younger and prettier, but she won't be for long. You know about her habit. (laughs) Drugs are nothing to laugh about. (laughs) I will turn off the spit, and we will see how young and pretty she is without her pills. Thank you very much to Bud Sabatino for being on the show. It was a great pleasure to talk to you. And uh, thank you, Heather, for joining me for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. It was my pleasure. Until next time, I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. Tell a friend about us. Remember to subscribe. And thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Albert Burge and Heather Burge, with contributions from Hayden McQueenie, Jill Arroway, Suzanne Smiley, and Christopher DeFilippis. Go to quantumleappodcast.com for all your Quantum Leap podcast needs. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for special behind-the-scenes content and to find out when a new episode is available. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap podcast is edited by Albie, John Buchanis, and Juan Murrow with voice talent provided by John Buchanis, Juan Murrow, Hayden McQueenie, Tawny Fenneran, Suzanne Smiley, Mac Jackson, and Peter Vernasak. 
The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Murrow and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Barron Space production. The next secret code in our print giveaway is the train number from this episode. It's 3416. So send an email to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com and put 3416 as the subject and you will be entered. Good luck.